0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW report void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real
2: talk. Black talk.
3: The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show improve. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. worldafropedia.com
4: Well, see, again... The people who classify themselves as white are not happy with their appearance. Now, they've taught us to be unhappy about our appearance. Do You see, but they're very unhappy about their appearance. I think there's an article in the handout about a woman who was, a white woman who was in Hawaii, And she said that being around the Hawaiian people and the Asian people, and she said she was tall and white and pale, she said she felt like a freak. Mm. And so then she started getting involved in genetic science.
5: Two beautiful little Chinese girls named Lulu and Nana came crying into the world as healthy as any other babies a few weeks ago.
6: It was a baby announcement like no other. Lulu and Nana were the world's first gene-edited babies. As embryos, their genes were altered to give them protection against HIV. The announcement from Chinese scientist Hu Jinkui a year ago shocked the world, and he clearly understood the ethical minefield he'd stepped into.
5: For a few children, early gene surgery may be the only viable way to heal an inherited disease and prevent a left-hand suffering. We hope... You have the mercy for them.
6: But his plea didn't quell the criticism. Hu Jinkui was labeled a rogue scientist and dismissed from his university position. Long before Lulu and Nana were born, Françoise Bayliss was raising concern about the implications of manipulating genes. She's a member of the World Health Organization's Expert Advisory Committee on Developing Global Standards for Governance and Oversight of Human Genome Editing. Her new book, is Altered Inheritance, CRISPR and the Ethics of Human Genome Editing. And Françoise Bayliss is with me in our Toronto studio. Hello. Hello. Can you give us a primer on how CRISPR works?
7: CRISPR is, if you will, the latest of the technologies that allow scientists to manipulate human genetic material So there are other techniques that we've had over the years, and scientists have tried to use them to develop gene therapies. But this particular technique, which really has two parts to it, is a guide RNA. So the RNA matches up with your DNA somewhere in your cell, and then you have something we call the molecular scissors, which is taken to the right spot, which makes a cut in the DNA. It's called a double-stranded cut because our DNA is a double strand. And then what happens effectively is you try to make a particular change there. The change could be the addition of genetic material, the deletion of genetic material, the modification of genetic material, but by and large, you're trying to change the DNA in the cell in order to make a change in the human.
6: Okay, this kind of manipulation can be done on different types of cells, and I wonder if you can tell us the difference between germline genetic editing and somatic genetic editing.
7: Yeah, well, that's an extremely important difference, and I think everybody needs to understand this. So, somatic cells are basically. Your body cells. So, all the cells in your body except your reproductive cells so, if you're a male, your sperm, if you're a female, your eggs all of those cells, the somatic cells, if we make changes in those cells, we're making changes in a person, in a patient, and when that person or patient dies, those changes effectively die with the patient. Okay, so those cells are particular to the one person. That's absolutely right. Whereas when you make changes to the germ line, we're now talking about your gametes. So again, the sperm, the eggs, or the early human embryo, what you're really doing are making changes that will be passed down in perpetuity to all of the children, the children's children, etc. So. At that point, you're actually taking over, I would argue anyhow, you're taking over the evolutionary story because you're actually going to change the genetics of subsequent generations.
6: So germline is what you're most preoccupied
7: with. Exactly. And if I can, there's also a really second important difference. When we talk about germline, that's the kind of cells that we're manipulating. And there are some scientists that are doing that work in the lab, and it's just under the banner of embryo research. We have other scientists, and you heard about Q Quhay, that take it further. So they've done this work in the lab. They've modified a human embryo, but they put that embryo back into a woman. And then I refer to that as heritable genome editing, because it's both that you're manipulating the germ cells, but you've transferred those cells to a uterus in the hope of having a newborn. And in that context, you're really taking a different step forward.
6: Right. And so what are the risks for women who, who have agreed to take part in these clinical trials for CRISPR?
7: We talk about these reproductive tissues, right, your gametes or the human embryos, as if they're just there on the shelf or in a freezer. You just go pick up what you need and you take it into your lab and you start manipulating them. Well... You have to get those tissues out of the human body. And it's relatively easy to get sperm from a male. It's actually quite onerous to get eggs out of the woman. She's going to have to undergo a drug regimen. There are the risks of something that we call superovulation. And those are quite serious. I mean, there are women that have ended up in hospital as a result of that. And we have that information from women already who donate eggs in the context of reproduction. But I think it's very different to participate in gifting or selling, depending on what country you're in, gifting or selling eggs for a reproductive goal versus gifting or selling those eggs for a research objective. And many of those embryos will simply be destroyed. Taking it one step further, there are the women who are the producers of these eggs, but there are also the women that at some point might be being asked and might agree to actually become pregnant with these genetically modified uh, babies. And we just don't know what the potential consequences could be there they might be confronted with decisions about terminating a pregnancy. They might be confronted with the birth of a child with serious complications.
6: And what, what risks to the baby who would eventually be born, at least sometimes,
7: out of these trials? I think there'll be a number of very significant biological risks. And if I can, they sort of fall into a few broad categories, but the ones that are easiest for people to appreciate are what we call off-target effects. And basically, remember I talked to you about we have these molecular scissors, they're going to go into the cell, they're going to make this cut, we're going to do these changes. That sounds so much more precise than it really is. And so one of the things you could have is these scissors make cuts in all the wrong places and what you mean, are they to just the con-
6: they don't know where they're actually well, going well they're
7: supposed to right so the the RNA guide is supposed to take them to the right place but we have reason to believe that mistakes can be made and you would get these off-target effects we also have another concern which is actually called on-target effects meaning it made the cut in the right place but maybe because of our own limited knowledge of DNA You've turned on a cancer gene of some kind. And then what have you done? So a lot of people tend to talk about this technology as though it will be safe and effective, it'll be wonderful. So we're only going to have happy stories that, you know, we had a person that was potentially at risk of giving birth to a child with a heritable disease. We're going to offer them this intervention. Everything will be fine. The child will be healthy. The child might not be healthy. um, It might not work. But beyond that, it might not work and we might have done more harm. Let's let's talk about a,
6: a heritable disease like Huntington's. Um, could the gene be edited so it wouldn't be passed
7: on to future generations? That's certainly the goal that some scientists would be wanting to pursue. And part of what they'd be saying back in defense of wanting to pursue this science is, If we ever get good enough at doing this in individual patients, we're able to make changes to their somatic cells and hopefully cure them of this illness. Why would we want them to go on and reproduce and have children with this same uh, heritable disease? Why not fix it once and for all? And I think part of the concern there is to say these aren't just private reproductive choices. You're actually talking about taking the species in a different direction. You're actually saying that we think it's appropriate to start designing the next generation. But but wouldn't
6: that be a good thing to be able to get rid of Huntington's disease?
7: Well, it might be. But again, I think you have to pay attention to the fact that we'll have potential harms to the children. Another thing we might have are broader societal harms. We don't know how people will be able to access this technology. It's not going to be cheap. So let's just throw out a hypothetical million dollar therapy for Huntington's disease. How many people are going to be able to afford that? And you might think, well, that's not a problem. We're in Canada, the government funded healthcare system will pay for that. But in fact, if you look at reality, we're not in the business of printing money. Governments have to make choices between whether they're going to invest in the road, uh, the arts, and there's only a certain percentage that goes to health and, and one of the challenges we have right now is that percentage is so high. It's not clear to me that this technology should be developed for what I put under the banner of personalized medicine, and that maybe what this technology could be really good for are public health interventions where you're really looking at prophylaxis rather than these kind of one off treatments.
6: Why is the possibility of gene editing an end to
7: deafness become so controversial? It's extremely controversial because people who are themselves hearing impaired or deaf have said we don't think we have a disease. So why are you coming after us and treating us as patients for whatever your particular project is? We have a rich, fulfilling life. We have a language. We're able to, you know, enjoy uh, our place in this world. And you're the ones that are sort of, in some sense, marginalizing us, naming us, othering us. And certainly a number of my colleagues who are members of the deaf community will say, this is a explicit eugenic project. You're basically trying to get rid of me and people like me. And in that context, you know, what resources then over time will disappear, will no longer be there for me, and will in fact very dramatically affect my quality of life while you're busy thinking that you're building a better world full of perfect beings because you've chosen to put me in the category of defective. Well, I don't think of myself as defective, and why should I? And why should you encourage other people to embrace that perspective? Earlier we heard about
6: Jean Kuhei and when he announced that he'd edited the genes of the twin girls uh, as a way to prevent them from contracting HIV. That's become something of a debacle.
7: Why? I think there's many reasons why people are concerned about it. So one reason is most scientists would say, at the very least, it was premature. You didn't have the data in terms of safety and efficacy to do that. And people are concerned about safety and efficacy, I think, for obvious reasons. Well, safety, you don't want to hurt people. Efficacy, you don't want to sell them a bill of goods if it doesn't work. And so I think a number of people would say the science wasn't there, it wasn't ready. Other people would go further and say, look, even if the science was there, and it was ready to go, this wasn't an important enough issue on the basis of which to make those kinds of dramatic changes because of the potential harms and consequences. And so they would have said, look, HIV is not that terrible in the grand scheme of things. Why? They would say we have treatment alternatives that we can make available to patients if they have HIV. They would also say, you know, when children are born, we could teach them about, you know, appropriate behaviors in order to protect themselves from contracting HIV. And then if you go back even further, the argument would have been in the context of assisted human reproduction, you just would have done sperm washing and you would not have expected that the virus would have been transmitted. And so many people have said there are just so many other ways in which you should have responded to this need rather than doing this frontier science and racing ahead of everyone. Um, but I actually am not among those who chastise him for being this sort of rogue scientist who went out and did something. I think he did exactly what we train scientists to do.
6: Well, I was going to ask you, in, in the rest of the scientific community around the world, is, is there that push? Are there people who are saying, I want to be first? Or are there people who are saying, I want to make money? Or what, what's going on I there? Think
7: people have a lot of different motivations. Certainly being first, getting a Nobel Prize is, is a big motivation for scientists. Many scientists have collaborations with various companies and they have an interest there in terms of moving it forward. I think, however, what we need to pay attention to here is the fact that many people genuinely are just saying they want to do good in the world and that they believe they can use their talents in order to pursue healthcare care interventions. But the reality with this technology and any technology is when you develop it, it can be used for good or evil, right? Uh, I mean, a very simple example, take a hammer. You can imagine a judge using that as a gavel. You can also imagine you know, working for Habitat for Humanity and building homes, but it can also be a murder weapon. So I think one of the things that becomes really important when we're developing this technology, I think we have an obligation to exercise the moral imagination and think about what are the wonderful things it could do, what are the ways in which it could be abused, such that we actually have plans uh, because we've anticipated some of those possible outcomes.
6: Right, and we're, you're raising some prof- profound issues here. We've been talking about... Um, discrimination and the attempts to use this, this gene editing to try to prevent it. But could it also lead on the flip side to different kinds of discrimination if you actually went forward with it?
7: I think it will lead to discrimination in multiple ways, one of which a number of people are concerned about, which is this idea that it will increase the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And the reason for that, as I mentioned earlier, is that this will be very expensive technology. So quite frankly, you and I aren't going to get it. Mm. And in that context, what happens when you're really looking at a very particular elite strata that will have access to this? And in the book, I explore what's the idea... Um, or what's the world that you imagine if somebody who already has socioeconomic advantages now actually is going to have a genetic advantage because they'll take that advantage and basically inscribe it in their DNA? So we now believe that, you know, if you, if you work hard, if you try, et cetera, there's possibilities for you to have success in this world. But if it's, you know, from the beginning set and you're not going to have access to the tools for improving yourself or your situation you could find that this gap, which people are already worried about, we talk about the 1%, we're worried about what's happening in terms of, as I said, the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And the worry here is that we'll now also do this with our biology.
6: Let's drill down into this a little bit more with some examples that you raised. There's a scenario of black parents who may decide that CRISPR is a way to ensure their children don't suffer
7: racist discrimination. Explain that to me. If you really want to think about this technology narrowly in the context of health. So we're not thinking about enhancement. We're not thinking about making superhumans. We're just saying we want people to have good flourishing lives. I'm saying, imagine this scenario. A couple comes forward and they say, look, the world that I live in, unfortunately, has considerable discrimination We have empirical data which shows that a young black male living in this particular context, community, etc., is at increased risk of ending up dead, if not in jail, etc. What would we say if somebody said, I actually have figured out the best way to help my child is to make sure that they can't be the victim of that kind of discrimination. So I'm going to make sure that my child will have a different color skin. And in that context, I'm saying, if other parents say, well, I don't have that particular challenge, but I really want to make sure that my child is well-educated or my child um, you know, has access to sporting activity, et cetera. There are many ways in which we support those parents. We say to them, that's great. You're providing opportunities for your children. You're expanding their horizons, et cetera. In theory, this couple could say, I'm just trying to ensure that they have a normal lifespan. I'm not even trying to do anything fancy. Now, part of the reason I bring that up is I want people to stop and think, about what does it mean to identify a social problem and then to think that it's reasonable to bring a biological solution to a social problem. I would like to think that we would step back and say, we have a real social problem. Let's fix it. Biology isn't the answer. And I think that this is a very dramatic example. But I think that that could be brought back to other things. When you say, for example, we don't want any more children with Down syndrome, How do you think it's not any different from that? You're basically making a claim that only certain kinds of people are worth having. Sounds like eugenics. It absolutely is a kind of eugenics. And I know people think, you know, that that's always pejorative. It's not. I mean, it just means bringing about a better life in some sense. But the question is better. But who judges who's better? (laughs) Absolutely. It's an extremely subjective concept, right? And what's better for you may not be better for me. I mean, you know, would it be great if we were all six feet tall? I mean, is that what we should be aiming for? Over the years, through nutrition, we have, in fact, increased the height of our species, right? And if you go to older buildings, hundreds of years older, you know, the doors aren't tall enough for us. So, I mean, we have, in many other ways, already manipulated our genetics. So it's not that, you know, we but haven't done it. that's called evolution. Well, and what we're doing here is we're saying we want to take over that evolution. We don't want to have, you know, hundreds of years and many generations in order to achieve these goals because we actually think we know what the ideal human looks like and we want to speed that process up.
8: Refreshing
9: is your drinking water safe? That is not something you should take for granted. In North Carolina, the discovery of Gen X and other contaminants, hog waste lagoon breaches, continued concerns about coal ash, all raising questions about how clean our water supply is. And some communities are at a greater risk for contaminated water, particularly underserved or minority communities. People who receive city or public water get their supply treated by utility systems. But homeowners whose water comes from private wells are on their own when it comes to managing their water quality, and some of the solutions can be costly. Jackie McDonald Gibson studies private well water. She's a professor of environmental sciences and engineering at the University of North Carolina's Gilling School of Public Health. And she is with us now. Jackie, welcome to State of
10: Things. Thank you very much.
9: Tell us here about, uh, first of all, give us roughly a percentage of the number of
10: people in North Carolina who rely on well water. Uh, It's about a quarter of the population in North Carolina that relies on private well water. That's an awful lot, and I don't think uh,
9: – I mean, I think our listeners and I were certainly surprised to hear that. That's a mm-hmm. lot of people. Um, what about uh, the, the responsibility then or how or are the regulations about how their water must be clean and who takes care of that? Uh,
10: no, there are uh, – since 2008, newly drilled wells have to be tested just once. But wells built before then um, may never have been tested at all. And and apart from that test of a brand-new well, there's no other testing requirement. So it's really up to the homeowner to get their water tested.
9: How much education is there around maintaining those wells?
10: It really varies by county. Some county health departments have more resources and and have outreach programs. For example, Wake County has a pretty aggressive outreach program. Other uh, health departments really are under-resourced and really don't have have the staff uh, that are really needed to run an outreach program like that. You
9: know, we're thinking about, I mean, if I had to think about where these wells are, I would assume that they're in rural areas, but that may not be true. Is there a way to characterize who, who is this 25% of the population?
10: Yeah, so I have really been focused on a particular category of, of well owners in the state, and you're right, not all well owners are in rural areas. There are some communities that historically were um, gerrymandered out of municipal boundaries, even though they're in urbanized areas in the state. They are majority African-American communities that, um, as cities and towns grew, were never incorporated into the cities and towns. And what I have found is that, uh, particularly in those areas, the wells can be at higher risk of contamination than wells in rural areas.
9: I mean, that's because they're in these urban areas, a little more industrialization, more co- high, higher concentration of people in general. Right? That's
10: right. And many, most of the homes as well have septic systems. And when you have a high density of septic systems, you also have increased risks of well water contamination. So tell us
9: more about this legacy, this gerrymandered uh, condition that we have. I mean, wh- why does it persist uh, long after legal segregation?
10: Well, these days the, the main argument uh, for, as to why it persists is that it's just an economic issue. Um, uh, many cities and towns say that their water utilities have bylaws that say they're not allowed to connect new areas to the existing water supply by increasing charges to their current customers. And uh, running new water pipes can be a costly endeavor, and... Um, and some of these areas, again, they're they're under resourced, and and the homeowners may not be able to afford all of the costs. It could be twenty thousand dollars or more um, to pay for getting city water service.
9: So again, this is one of the legacies, the holdovers, right. uh, where things have not not advanced. Even though on paper, in some ways, we think things have improved, we're still living with the consequences of the
10: past. Yes, we are. And in fact, um, during the second half of the twentieth century, the federal government had invested a lot in helping. Local governments build water infrastructure, and that kind of financing is much more difficult to mm. obtain today. And of course, when that was available, it was during a time of legal racial segregation, and so these communities were basically dis- denied access to the benefits that um, surrounding areas that were non-minority received.
9: So, talk talk about the contaminants. What are some of the common issues with well water, particularly in these urban areas?
10: Yeah. Well, one of the uh, most common contaminants is lead. Um, Everybody heard a lot about lead during the Flint water crisis, and Flint was a a different situation. It's a large utility that ran out of money and went bankrupt and changed their water source, and so they couldn't adequately control the corrosivity of their water. Mm. Here in North Carolina, um, these communities, uh, many of them, are adjacent to very well-financed, well-run municipal utilities that do a good job of controlling lead, but homeowners with private wells um, don't usually know that they need to check their water for lead. Lead arises from corrosion of the plumbing in their homes and their wells. Um, And if people aren't aware of it, they don't need to know they need to do something about it. So we found in the kinds of communities that I'm looking at, um, almost 30% of wells have tested uh, with high lead levels, have had high lead levels above what's allowable in municipal utilities. What
9: would it take to test that? I mean, you may, you say on the one hand, you might not know to do that, but if you did, what would it cost you?
10: Yeah, it varies by county. People can get water tests from their county health department. In Durham, for example, if you want to get a test for metals, the cost is $135. If you want to test for all the kinds of contaminants you might worry about, then the cost is $540. Mm-hmm.
9: So talk about some of the areas you you say you've been looking into these communities. Give us an example of some of the communities that are affected this way.
10: Sure. Um, I'll give you one example that's actually a really good news story. Um, So uh, this is a community that is adjacent to Apex, and it's a mostly African-American, 80% African-American community that for years has had problems with their water quality and water quantity. They are Literally across the street from the city water line for Apex, there's a fire hydrant for Apex that ends at the entrance to the community. Um, And periodically, because that's a dead end on the Apex water line, Apex opens the fire hydrant and water goes rushing through this community. In this particular community, we found a lot of lead. We found a lot of bacteria in the water. But perhaps even more important, many of the wells have run dry. And the community had been trying for years to gain the attention of of the town to get connected to that water supply. And uh, the good news is that um, we started a series of meetings with the town about a year ago and plans are moving forward and this community is about to be connected to the Apex water supply. That's kind of rare. Again, a lot of these communities have battled for Mm. decades with no success. Some of them are afraid to come forward and ask for help because they're afraid if a public health department comes onto their property, they might discover a a poorly functioning septic system, and the homeowner could be fined.
9: Well, we're talking with Jackie McDonald Gibson now about environmental justice and North Carolina's drinking water. She's a professor of environmental sciences and engineering at the University of North Carolina's Gilling School of Global Health. And now I'd like to bring in someone who helps communities organize to address environmental issues. Naima Mohammed is organizing director for the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network. Welcome back, Naima. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me here. Your organization has helped communities around the state. Give us give us a sense of sort of who you're working with and what it takes because I know that Jackie was just telling us okay this community around Apex is a success story but but an unusual one because it's so difficult to organize. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your efforts. Okay, so
8: the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network, we are a statewide organization. We work with communities across the state that's living with environmental Hazards like toxic waste sites, um, and that's and the way we come in contact with communities. They will call us and and say to us, you know, we have a concern, we have an issue, we need your help. Give us and a that. sense
9: of someone you're working with right now. Okay,
8: so currently, um, and for nearly three decades, we've been working with communities living with concentrated animal feeding operations. Which has been a huge battle in this state. And I'm sure you all are aware of that. But, um, these are the CAFOs and, and, that we have yeah, with, yeah. with the, uh, hogs, pigs. Well, hogs, and sometimes I say hogs, sometimes I mm-hmm. say pigs. Some people, you know, you say hogs and everybody might not catch that mm-hmm. one. But everybody knows what a pig is. Yeah. So, um, but, so living with pigs, chickens and turkeys because the poultry industry had began a re-entry into North Carolina and it's come back in a massive way and it's totally unregulated so nobody knows much about them where they are or how they get there they just set up shop and what we're finding is that the communities that were already living with the pigs are now faced with all these chickens and turkeys mm-hmm coexisting in these communities and is, you know, causing huge problems for people with their air and their water. And people Um, of
9: color and communities of
8: color are disproportionately affected. Predominant. Well, in North Carolina, for example, we have about 10 million pigs. And of the 10 million pigs, most of them are in eastern North Carolina, which we call the avenue of least resistance. Um, And we've deemed it environmental racism we don't feel like it was an accident that these animals got there but that these were targeted communities which were perceived to not have enough political or economic clout to fight off this industry and um, so whenever we talk about environmental hazards what we always say is anything white people don't want in their backyards
9: you can find it in east or north Carolina. Um, And then talk about the fight then to organize people around that and and you said some of it's been going on for decades. Um, Are there success stories? Where is there success and where is there still resistance? Okay, so some of the success,
8: um, well, when I first began doing the work, especially around the um, concentrated animal feeding operations, communities were living in real fear of speaking up or speaking out or even coming to a meeting where you were talking about these animals because of their fear of retaliation from, you know, the industry. Um, And we have, you know, stories where people say somebody threatened them or came to the house or their family member lost a job because they went to a meeting and was followed. You know, we've heard all kinds of stories from people about what happens to them when they speak up. And so people were really afraid to talk about these animals and the impacts that they were having on their lives because they were afraid that something would happen to them. And so um, the first part of, of the work was to bring people beyond that fear. You know, how do you get people to come outside of the fear that they were facing and to understand that you have a right to speak up. You have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to enjoy your property in the way that you meant to when you purchased it and that clean air, clean water is a human right and so you shouldn't be afraid
9: to say this is wrong. Well, and, and, and that's an important point because I think some people think, well, they own that property, they can do anything they want on that's it, right? that's
8: exactly what I heard from community members. So many of them would say, well, you know, I feel like they own the property, so it's their property, they can do what they want. I was like, no, they can't. I mean, you know, they can, but they can't, or they can, but they shouldn't because, um, you know, I was like, nobody has the right to do anything on their property that would prevent you from enjoying your property. And that's where the problem is. Right. And so understanding that I don't have a right to dump my waste on you, you know, and, and then feel like I've not done anything wrong. This the city of Chicago. Chicago.
7: The Chicago teachers' strike enters its fifth day with no clear sign it might end anytime soon. As John Yang reports, teachers are calling for changes that include, but also go beyond, traditional pocketbook issues. And they charge that the city's new mayor is changing her position since coming into office last May.
11: Thousands of striking Chicago teachers converged on City Hall today. As new mayor Lori Lightfoot delivered her first budget, the teachers had their own spending priorities.
12: The people of the city of Chicago demand funding and resources to go to the services of the city. We have to have schools that work for our children. We need a budget which speaks to our priorities, not just the priorities of developers.
11: For the fifth day, the strike canceled classes for more than 360,000 students in the country's third largest school district. The city and the Chicago Teachers Union are at odds over several issues, including higher salaries, smaller class sizes, and the union's demand for additional support staff, including nurses, counselors, and librarians. Union President Jesse uh, Sharkey rejected uh, the mayor's call for teachers to return to classrooms.
12: She wants us to simply give up on some of the most basic things that we're asking for. And uh, that's not the way labor negotiations work.
11: Lightfoot was elected on a progressive agenda and an education platform that includes some of the very changes the union is asking for. Now she says the city can't afford them.
7: There's a
13: finite amount of money that's available. You know, as you know, we're barely two years away from a moment where CPS was on, on the verge of insolvency. There's not an unlimited pool of money.
11: Striking teachers say she has turned her back on her pledges.
13: We need things in our classrooms that we're not getting. I have students that take medicine. I don't have a nurse to help me out except for one day a week.
11: Parents are also feeling the toll, scrambling to find daycare for their kids as talks drag on. But some say they still stand behind the teachers.
14: We know that it's a
10: sacrifice that we need to make in order to support the teachers.
11: With no end in sight, the union said they'll be back on the picket lines again tomorrow. Negotiators have been meeting for several hours every day since the strike began. Education reporter Brandis Friedman has been covering the strike for Chicago tonight on PBS member station WTTW. Brandis, thanks so much for joining us. What's your sense of how far apart the two sides are?
15: you know John it's kind of hard to tell there are, uh, over the weekend it seemed like we took a few steps forward um, and then Monday and Tuesday it seems like we took another couple of steps back uh, I know that they both sides are saying they feel like they've made some progress uh, but then something would happen like mayor Lightfoot sent a mayor uh, sent a letter excuse me to CTU leadership a couple of days ago saying you know what we've made some progress we've given you much of what we've asked for what what you've asked for why don't you and the teachers come back to work while we continue negotiating at the table and we heard CTU President Jesse Sharkey and Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates say that they felt like, you know, that's not how negotiations work and that their, their hopes of progress had been dashed. But uh, I, I think they are making some progress and they are working towards each other, but they're, they're sort of buttoning up these last few days over exactly how far apart they are on, on what we know to be the sticking points.
11: And some of those sticking points, I mean, it's not just uh, the, the usual pocketbook issues of pay. Uh, it's things like class size, prep time, support staff. Why are those issues so important to the teachers?
15: You know, the union says that they are looking to make, uh, make that they're on the precipice of one of the most important contracts for Chicago public schools, because they want this contract to be the one that makes Chicago public schools into what they keep referring to as the schools that Chicago students deserve. I think they have attempted to make the case, of course, that their working conditions are student learning conditions. And in the absence of these nurses and librarians and social workers and counselors, uh, teaching the students, educating them is harder because they're not getting all of their needs met. And so they see this um, as their responsibility to take on and to get it in writing in the contract uh, to improve the schools for their students.
11: And this is the first big test for the new mayor, Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot. Some of the things that the union wants in the contract are things that she talked about, supported in
15: her campaign. So why is this an issue now? So she did support all of uh, much of what CTU was arguing for, uh, but she did not say, I'm going to put it in the CTU contract. So a lot of folks will say that some of what CTU is asking for, affordable housing, for example, uh, does not belong in the teachers' collective bargaining agreement. Uh, The teachers' union has argued that they want it in the contract because they don't trust politicians. Just because she campaigned on these issues doesn't mean that she's actually going to make good on them. Um, For Mayor Lightfoot's uh, part of it, she says that she can't campaigned on these issues, and that some of them have been written into the Chicago Public Schools budget that was passed back in August. CTU says that's not good enough. We need it in the contract so that we have enforcement mechanisms to hold you accountable, to hold you to what you say.
11: Uh, this is putting a hardship on a lot of parents in Chicago. We've got to find things uh, for their kids to do during the day when, now that classes have been canceled. How much support is there from the, uh, for the teachers from the parents, and is there danger that it's going to uh, go away as this goes on?
15: You know, it's hard to say. Like, we know that a lot of the parents who do support CTU, they are, uh, they are vocal. There are, there are multiple organizations in Chicago that have expressed their support. Some parents are on the picket line with their kids and CTU. Uh, now, the city does work with some sister agencies uh, to make sure that students have places to go, like the public library, um, and schools across the city have been opened and staffed by uh, members or employees from central office as well as principals um, for the students who have to come to a school. Um, and as far as whether or not you know they're going to lose parental support, I know that not all parents do support CTU in this. Whether or not they are a majority or a minority um, of all parents, it's hard to tell. Of course, not all of them support CTU, um, and they are struggling. But I don't think that the length of uh, of this strike is going to have either side change camps.
11: Brandis Friedman from Chicago tonight on WTTW. Brandis, thank you very much. You bet.
0: Why haven't you learned anything?
12: And it's time for StoryCorps now. Next week marks 50 years since the Supreme Court ordered schools in the South to desegregate. The case was Alexander versus Holmes County Board of Education. It came 15 years after Brown versus Board of Education. And it's when third graders Natalie Geis Adams and Eli Brown met at Winsboro Elementary School in Louisiana. My mother and father told me that there would be some changes. I
5: remember... Vividly them saying that, well, you will be going to school with white children, and um, there may be some people who may not like you very much. And my first impression was, why? What have I done to them? The first day it's sort of a blur. You have to realize we left our school and came to your school. I can remember seeing new white faces, finding the cafeteria, finding the boys' restroom.
16: Yeah, I vividly remember you in fourth grade. Why? You and I were the co-editors of the fourth grade newspaper. I remember that. And I did think I was the smartest person in class. But I realized that you were going to give me a run for my money.
5: To this day, I've never wanted to lose. And you know, I was thinking about valedictorian when I was ninth grade. Mm-hmm. But I knew who would stand in the way of me doing that was mm-hmm. going to be you.
16: I also remember when you were elected state Beta Club vice president in high school.
5: It was our National Honor Society. What I remember most about when I was running, we had these ribbons, vote for Eli Brown Mm -hmm. or something like this. Well, my dad and I went into the men's restroom and there was one of those ribbons in the urinal. I remember my dad getting a big roll of tissue around his hand, going into that urinal and getting that out. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? He says, nobody pees on this name. That was the pride he instilled in us.
16: You never let your guard down, ever. And our lives were so intertwined in school, but so separate. Like, we had segregated dance. I don't even know if you guys had dances.
5: No, we really didn't have that. We were told that they didn't want shoes on the gym floor. Right. But we knew why.
16: I knew that you and I both got most likely to succeed. It wasn't until I got the yearbooks out that I realized there was a black most likely to succeed boy mm-hmm. and girl, and there was a white most, most likely, likely to, to succeed, succeed boy and girl.
5: When I looked at that yearbook, it hurt to see that everything was black and white. I just wish some adult could have said, no, we're not doing this. I feel like we we missed knowing each other.
16: After we graduated, that was it. it.
5: To sit here and talk to you in this way, I never thought I would ever do this. But your name
12: and, you know, what we went through is never far from me. Eli Brown and Natalie Geis Adams, they graduated high school as co-valedictorians. Their interview will be archived at the Library of Congress.
17: Seattle's a great place to visit because it has, I guess you could say, a little bit of everything, but I like to think of it as a lot of everything. There's been lots of scrutiny in recent years over the ways our nation's public schools select students to be a part of gifted and talented programs. Children, some as young as four years old, can take entrance exams, which afford them an accelerated education on through high school. And there are well-documented reports of wealthy parents spending thousands of dollars for outside tutors and complaints that schools don't often tell parents of color about these programs and that they're even an option. In Seattle, for instance, less than 2% of the students in the Accelerated program are Black. It's what prompted 18-year-old Azure Savage to write a book called You Failed Us, Students of Color, Talk Seattle Schools. Welcome, Azure. Hi, thank you for having me. So you're now a senior at Garfield High School in Seattle where Black and Hispanic students make up about 34% of the population. But yet in AP classes, advanced placement classes, it's pretty segregated. And you point out the reasons for this go all the way back to sometimes kindergarten when students can test into these accelerated programs. Tell us a bit more about how this works.
14: Yeah. So when you are in kindergarten, most students are offered to take a test for this program. When I was placed into it, it was called the Accelerated Progress Program. It's changed names a couple of times now, but it's always been the same program. And from then on you are in the same program and that will track you all the way through elementary school, middle school, and then will continue to influence your high school experience. And Mm -hmm. when I placed into it, I was the only Black student in my class for almost every single year. And when you get to high school, it definitely causes a big impact on what classes you will choose to take then because even though they say it's up to the student, your past experience of what classes you've been in What classes your friends are going to be in and what you think you'll be capable of has a huge impact on whether or not you will choose to take a honors class, an AP class versus
17: a regular Mm -hmm. class. And there's this distinction for most of the years you were the only black student in your classroom, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't that way for the school. There was this segregated system in the school. And tell me a little bit about that.
14: At Thurgood Marshall, there were already students there who were not in the HCC capable cohort They were all brown and black students. So there were a lot of black and brown students at my school. They were there. They probably made up like probably the majority of the population at my school. However, I didn't know any of them. I didn't have classes with any of them. So it was completely segregated in terms of what program you were in. And it was obviously a racial thing.
17: What was that like for you to know that you're black, but then to see across the hall other students who were just like you, But they weren't a part of this highly selected, highly capable program.
14: It gave me a lot of issues with my identity because I was very aware of race from a very young age. I wasn't confused about what made me different. I was super aware that it was because of my skin color. It was because I was a different race than these people. But I wasn't sure if, since I was in this white program, I was even really allowed to claim the idea that I was black. I wasn't sure if I was per se, allowed to be Black. I wasn't sure if that was an identity that I was even allowed to take on because I felt like I didn't know much about it. I didn't have any mm. friends who were Black. It made me very confused with a child about who I was and where I fit in.
17: The name of your book is You Failed Us. I know that many of the students are angry. I just read that Garfield High School. There was an op-ed written by another student of color talking mm-hmm. about this program and the ways that students were segregated. Mm-hmm. What do you want people to take away from it?
14: I think that above all this program needs to be dismantled completely. I underlying all of this is a lot of institutional racism and I don't see how this program in the way it's set up could ever possibly be fully equitable and have absolutely no racism involved.
17: Mm. Azora, you say that you, you want this program to be dismantled, but the other side of the argument is, well, it also affords you a better education. Why wouldn't you want to see this maybe opened up to all students? Is there a way to make it open for all students instead of abolishing a program like this?
14: Well, I think if it's open to all students, then I don't understand how that would be the same program. Because if if this is just like for everyone, then it's not a program. Special. It's just, yeah, It's not special. It's just how the district will work. And that's exactly what I think should happen. I think that, for one, taking a test when you're young,
17: like before you even hit puberty, is not going to determine at all where you're going to end up. This is happening in Seattle, but there are programs in school districts like this throughout the nation. What mm-hmm. changes do you want to see in the education system?
14: It needs to be acknowledged,
17: To the fullest extent that the
14: system right now is racist, it's not working for students of color. Schools need to be more open to hearing from their students. A lot of times, student voices are silenced within this system. But I think it has given me a lot of like hope and a feeling of power because I'm seeing like not only me but so many other students at the same time, students of color from different schools in the area, all wanting to come together and make some real change in this school district.
17: Azur Savage has written a book about this experience called You Failed Us, Students of Color Talk Seattle Schools. Thank you so much, Azur, for joining us. Thank you.
5: Nobody pees on this night
0: the stands, racial slurs. Students say that they were urinated on. A high school football game way out of hand. That's allegedly what went down Friday night at a New Jersey school. I'm Jason Martinez.
18: I'm Shayna Humphries. A group of middle schoolers says they were targeted and today authorities say their investigation is far from over. Our Jeff Cole is live in Lawrence Township, Mercer County. What is going on here, Jeff?
12: Yeah, the township leadership is clearly trying to get out uh, in front of this today. A school official, police chief, investigators all meeting with the press today. Now, this ugly incident in this Mercer County community at the homecoming football game Friday night has ignited a debate here about race and diversity. Lawrence Township leaders faced a bank of cameras Tuesday as they grappled with what they call a bias incident at the high school homecoming football game Friday night.
13: During the homecoming game, my daughter was called out of her name the N-word several times and spit on. And who did
12: that? A group of high school kids. Asking that we not identify her, this mother of a 13-year-old Lawrence middle school student says her daughter is hurt and confused by what happened. Captured on cell phone video, two 17-year-old Lawrence High School students described by police as Indian American are under arrest for bias, intimidation and lewdness. The mother says her daughter claims one of the 17-year-olds exposed himself.
13: Indian guy started urinating and kind of, you know, swept it across her thigh.
19: Bigotry is a cancer. And unfortunately, much like cancer, even if it's gone into remission, it's still there. Wow!
20: Hey, yo, drama, hold up, sir. Hold on, hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. I want you to pondy replay drama. Pondy (laughs) 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 replay. Let's give him one
21: more chance, man.
22: Run that shit the fuck back.
19: Bigotry is a cancer. And unfortunately, much like cancer, even if it's gone into remission, it's still there.
12: The chief of police says he learned of the incident early Saturday morning from video links sent by the mayor. While he says his five officers at the game were not told of the incident, parents who spoke to Fox 29 dispute that. We were not um, told that night. If we were told that night, we would have responded appropriately, quickly, and like we did first thing in the morning.
13: My daughter indicated to me that she told a police officer twice, and twice she was told to go back and sit down and they would come over, but they didn't.
12: Police say there could be more arrests, and while school leaders argue the ugly incident doesn't reflect what happens in classrooms, parents see trouble.
13: Lawrence is a diverse school, but there is racism in Lawrence, and people
23: like to brush it under the rug and say this is just an isolated incident, but it isn't.
13: Now, the two
12: 17-year-old high school males have not been identified while this community braces for the possibility of still more arrests of high school students. Live in Lawrence Township, New Jersey, I'm Jeff Cole, Fox 29 News. Folks, All right, Jeff. this mother of a 13-year-old Lawrence middle school student says
2: her daughter is hurt and confused by what happened. And a new study by the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU Shows an increase in rates of suicide attempts among black teenagers across the United States. The McSilver Institute primarily does research about the root causes of poverty, and they uncovered this disturbing trend from data collected during a 26 year period from 1991 to 2017. It shows a 73 percent increase. In suicide attempts by black teenagers, advocates and lawmakers in New York State are calling on Governor Cuomo to sign legislation seeking to create a state black youth suicide task force. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams joins us now to talk about the legislation for the task force, the youth led hackathon that he proposes as one solution, and some other New York City news that we'll get into as well with Borough President Eric Adams from Brooklyn. Mr. President, welcome back to WNYC.
24: Thank you so much, and I am going to make sure that I make my
2: contribution to this great
24: station. It is so important uh, to independent news, and I I really encourage others to do the same.
2: I appreciate it. Why a youth-led hackathon?
24: Because the answers uh, oftentimes comes from people who are not directly impacted by the trauma. And by having this hackathon, it would allow us to not only come up with real solutions, but engage in a conversation with young people. Uh, young people uh, often do not talk about suicide and depression and PTSD. And we would like to engage them in having a real conversation and help to start identifying some of the traits, how they can be part of finding a solution. And this is just a creative way of doing so. Some of the young people in my office, they brought this to me, um, former college students and high school students that interned for me. We want to give them as much support as possible.
2: And there's a $20,000 grand prize. How would that be spent?
24: We're speaking with both the executive superintendents in Brooklyn North and Brooklyn South, and we're going to allow the young people to engage in this hackathon and then use the, the money to develop a PSA that will inform young people, teenagers, on how to go about receiving resources, because there are resources out there, uh, but there's much stigma that's attached to if a person states that they are depressed or they have suicidal uh, tendencies or thoughts. So much stigma is attached to that, and we want to really have this conversation in a way that young people don't feel that something is wrong with them. As one young person said, it is all right not to be all right. How do you seek the services and assistance so that you you could feel better in the process?
2: And from my understanding of suicide rates by race over time, um, this is kind of a reversal of the usual. That is, I think it's usually whites who commit suicide at a higher rate than blacks, but according to the report, released by the McSilver Institute, self-reported suicide attempts rose in black teenagers even as they fell or remained the same for the rest of their teen counterparts, whites, Hispanics, Asians, Native Americans, uh, et cetera. Do you have a hunch as to why this has been happening?
24: Yes, the other other cat groups, there was a a 7% decrease. Uh, I believe that we have this uh, theme or culture in communities of color where we've normalized trauma, we've normalized violence, we've normalized uh, living in poverty. And that's that's why the McSillers report is so important. Because when we start drilling down on the social determinants of health, uh, we often overlook uh, the poverty conditions that people live in. And it goes so far back, as I talked about uh, oftentimes. time. That is why we... Uh, sent away teachers to learn meditation because I believe uh, students should start their day with meditation. We're we're asking young people to add, multiply, and divide, but no one is asking them, how do you feel? We've had mass students in Brooklyn, two in the Crown Heights area, one in Brownsville area. Those children are traumatized, yet we sit them in the classroom and we go through their normal day without identifying the trauma that they they are, are experiencing. And then you look at um, the connectivity between, you know, a prenatal mother, what she's feeding her, children, her child, and how that impacts on their mental stability, their cognitive cognitive behavior, uh, and the, the the lack of proper nutrition in their diets. And so we are raising unhealthy children, not only physically, but they also they are unhealthy emotionally, and we're not giving the services where they should be.
2: My guest is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams.
22: Context of white supremacy, gusty Renegade. So we're not quite at the end of the news segments. We're about to hear attorney Benjamin Crump, victim of white supremacy. He has a new book, uh, but he describes what is happening to black people as genocide. And he begins to cite efforts that took place in the 1950s and 60s to charge the United States with genocide for the terrorism against black people. And I paused because William Patterson is one of the individuals who was involved in that effort, wrote a book by that name, We Charge Genocide. Just yesterday during our debut session on Paul Robeson, the biography we are reading in the book club by Dr. Gerald Horn, they mentioned William Patterson. We are probably going to cover some of this in the book club if you just continue as we read about the life and times of Paul Robeson, victim of white supremacy. But that will be touched on briefly by Mr. Benjamin Crump
0: right now. There were more protests in Dallas today over the fatal shooting of a black man inside his home by a white police officer. An unarmed black teenager. Was shot down by a white neighborhood watchman who claimed self-defense. There growing outrage tonight after an unarmed African American teenager was shot and killed by police in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson,
25: Missouri. Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Botham john. The lawyer who represented each of their families after their deaths is Ben Crump. In his new book, he argues these tragedies and those that affect so many other Americans of color isn't just a pattern of discrimination, racism, and police brutality. The word he uses is genocide. And he joins me now from Columbia, South Carolina. Good morning.
20: Good morning, Lulu.
25: Can you explain why it's important for you to use the word genocide? Certainly.
20: Um, This
25: book, Open Season
20: is an extension of what many black leaders did in 1951 at the United Nations convention. They issued, we charge genocide, the crime of government against the Negro people in America. And they based that on the daily killings, rapings and lynchings of Negro people in America. And yet the, courts and the law sanitized it over and over again nobody was held accountable they legalized these atrocities and that's what we think is still occurring today and you don't have to take ben crump's word for it you can go sit in the back of any courtroom in any city and any state in america
25: There are a lot of people who work in the international sphere who say that genocide is a very particular word with a very profound legal meaning and that it is very important to keep that legal meaning um, and not use it for other issues and other cases that may be egregious but don't fall under genocide. What would you say to that?
20: I would say uh, the case was compelling then and the case is compelling now. I I want to be clear there are many ways to kill a person as we demonstrate in this book. When you are a convicted felon and you are a person of color, it is like you're the walking dead. They just haven't given you the death certificate yet. You are caught up in a system that you can never get out of. And, you know, it's one thing to kill us with bullets. I think it's even more uh, horrific to kill a person And they die a little every day because of the circumstances that you have made them live under. Think of the wrongfully convicted people in America and the death row statistics and how they correlate based on racial dynamics. The quickest way to get on death row is literally to be a person of color and kill a white person. But yet when a white person kill a person of color, in many regards, because of the racist Jim Crow stand your ground laws, they don't even spend the night in jail.
25: Mr. Crump, this book, as you mentioned, doesn't just talk about the deaths of black and brown people at the hands of police. It talks about an entire system of injustice, segregation, and racism. Um, how at every turn black and brown people are sentenced more severely for similar crimes or judged more harshly for behavior that would not be deemed criminal um, if they were white. Um, This has touched your family. Can you tell me the story of Marcus and what happened when he was 13?
20: Yeah, and it's so personal. Um, Marcus was my cousin who uh, my mother and I, And my aunt ended up uh, raising. He, like all young teenagers, they discover uh, girls. And uh, he started liking, and apparently this uh, little white girl started liking him back. And it became a major incident.
25: It was because he touched her in in the lunchroom um, publicly. He
20: touched her on her butt. And for that there, they were trying to give him a record because her parents were insisting that the sheriff arrest my little, uh, I call him my nephew. And so my aunt, I was out of town at the time, she uh, had to do Everything humanly possible with the help of my uh, law partner to avoid Marcus for getting caught up in the system at 13 years old. And the aunt doing... had to
25: beg the parents. And she said something quite shocking in the book you quote her as.
20: Yes, ma'am. Uh, my aunt said that she felt like she was having to beg the plantation master for her son's life.
25: You quote a shocking statistic that on any given day, 10,000 children are housed in adult jails, many of them black and brown children.
20: Yes. And the fact that black men only make up 7 percent of the population in America, yet make up almost 50 percent of the population on death row correlates with them. Direct filing. All these children of color in prison. And so we think to anybody who says, oh, you all are just exaggerating people of color, then they are not admitting that there is a problem that is leading to a genocidal situation because it's not their children being killed.
25: Ben Crump, his new book is Open Season Legalized Genocide of Colored People. Thank you very much. Well, and hopefully
20: this will give America, all Americans of all races, a chance to confront our biases and do what Martin Luther King said. And when you see injustice, don't look away. Don't look away.
22: Gusty again, have to speak twice before we get to the news segments. One important detail that they are going to leave out of the Moores Ford Bridge lynching that we have talked about repeatedly on the context of white supremacy is that one of the victims, black female Dorothy Malcolm, was in her third trimester of pregnancy when she was killed.
18: An unsolved lynching, decades old, got a new hearing this week in federal court in Georgia. At issue is when, if ever, should judges be able to unseal grand jury testimony. Those records are usually sealed and kept secret. But if a judge were to release them, it could lead to some justice in the case. Grant Blankenship of Georgia Public Broadcasting explains what happened at a place known as Moore's Ford.
19: I want to make sure everybody's
18: up here. Once a year, people come to Monroe,
19: Georgia, not far from the college town of Athens, to watch a crime.
22: Make your way up the hill. You can see the first scene.
19: In this reenactment, a well-dressed white man with a fuming cigarette waves down a car on the road crossing the Appalachian River.
11: Get him out of the car!
19: With more white men, he forces four black people, two couples, out of the car.
20: What are you doing? He's been in jail. They're taking him to court. What are y'all doing?
19: On July 25, 1946, the mob probably wanted Roger Malcolm. He'd already been in jail for stabbing a white man. But by the end of this, the 15th annual reenactment of the lynching at Moore's Ford Bridge, spectators will see how Malcolm's wife Dorothy, her brother George Dorsey, and his wife May Murray Dorsey were also murdered. And cut!
3: Can everyone just go move that
19: way? The crime made national headlines. Over the course of a grand jury investigation, the FBI interviewed over 2,000 people, almost half of the county in 1946. A hundred people testified before the grand jury, but not a single indictment was handed down. Darius Bradshaw has portrayed Roger Malcolm for several years. By now, there's only one thing left he wants to know.
22: I want to know exactly who did it.
19: Hold
6: on. Just a little while
19: longer. The answer might be in the grand jury records. Historian Anthony Pitch and his attorney Joe Bell have fought to unseal those records for years, most recently before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. But on the morning of the reenactment, Bell tells a crowd in the First African Baptist Church of Monroe that preparing for that hearing got a little more complicated.
9: Most unfortunately, um, Anthony Pitch
19: passed away about three weeks ago. Bell had to find a new plaintiff who could still make sense of it all. He told the church he had someone.
2: Another author,
19: Laura Wexler, wrote a book on the Moore's Ford tragedy as well. Laura Wexler published her book, Fire in a Cane Break, in 2003. And she's spoken to Bell and she's prepared for the grand jury records, but...
16: Do I think there's going to be a smoking gun in this? Um, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know.
19: What she could learn is how people who knew things in 1946 but who kept quiet helped sustain a system that tolerated murder.
16: We would look to the entire system as both the cause for an incident like this and then the, the, the protection for those who perpetrated it.
19: When Joe Bell argued this week before all 12 judges in the circuit court, he said the time for justice was overdue. And no one, neither the U.S. attorney nor the judges, seem to want to hold on to the grand jury records. But they aren't bells yet. He says something else is at work. We're in in the throes of a dilemma where you have to separate whether or not this is a cold case or whether the courts have the inherent authority to release the records of the grand jury transcript. If the court decides judges can release grand jury testimony, the effect could ripple far past this case. Still, Bell says he expects justice in the Morseford lynching someday, maybe even someday soon. For NPR News, I'm Grant Blankenship in Macon, Georgia.
3: And now, a word from the president.
18: As he does most mornings, President Trump tweeted his thoughts about the impeachment inquiry. But this time, his language describing the probe drew swift bipartisan opposition. That is because the president compared the impeachment inquiry to vigilante murders of African-Americans. He tweeted, quote, all Republicans must remember what they are witnessing here, a lynching. NPR's White House reporter, Aisha Roscoe, joins us now. Hey, Aisha. Hello. So is there any kind of world where this impeachment inquiry could be compared to a lynching?
3: Uh, no, not at all. To be clear, thousands of African-Americans were lynched in the U.S. after the Civil War through the civil rights movement. We're talking about acts of terror, people being tortured, mutilated, and murdered. That is the reality of lynching in America. What is happening to Trump is a constitutional process. It is not violent and may not even result in his removal from office.
18: So nowhere near the universe of actual lynching. What are lawmakers on both sides saying about the president's use of language today?
3: Democrats immediately said this is totally inappropriate and unacceptable. Uh, And many top Republicans also pushed back. Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he does not agree with the impeachment probe, but he does not think Trump should use that term. Here's what he said.
9: Given the history in our country, I would not uh, compare this uh, to uh, a lynching. That was an unfortunate uh, choice of words. It is an unfair process. And a better way to characterize it would be to call it an unfair process.
3: So that's McConnell basically saying the president went too far. And this is at a point when Trump has tried to stress that he wants Republicans to remain united against impeachment.
18: What has the White House been saying in response to all of this uproar? I mean, has anyone been willing to defend the president here?
3: Uh, So White House spokesman Hogan Gidley said Trump was not referring uh, to this dark period in U.S. history uh, and instead said he was talking about the way President Trump has been treated by the media.
0: He has used many words to describe the way he has been relentlessly attacked, and 93% of the news coverage against him is negative. Let's talk about what the president's actually done for the African-American community.
3: It is true that Trump has used a lot of negative words for any investigation of him or his administration. Uh, He called Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation a witch hunt, and he called impeachment a sham. Uh, But those words obviously don't carry the weight and the history of lynching. No, they don't. So let's be
18: clear here about something. I mean, This isn't some isolated incident for Trump. He does have a history of using loaded language, right? Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, Trump has used these uh, tropes and stereotypes and, and racist language against uh, non-white lawmakers. Uh, he has called black lawmakers low IQ and referred to a mostly black district as a rat and rodent infested. Uh, his rhetoric around race has been uh, divisive and polarizing. And now in this moment, he's comparing his plight as president to that of African-Americans who were viciously murdered. Uh, uh, This is in line with Trump casting himself as a victim of historic proportions uh, without regard to actual historic events. uh, events. Uh, He said that he's been treated worse than any president uh, in U.S. history when in this country we have had multiple presidents assassinated. Uh, My colleague Tamara Keith uh, did an analysis and she found that the president's language is getting more and more extreme as he faces more pressure uh, and that he's using heated phrases like coup and treason more and more and the month of October is set to be a record for this year in his use of those types of phrases.
18: That's NPR's White House reporter Aisha Roscoe. Thanks Aisha. Thank you. Heated
22: phrases. Not sure what that is. Heated phrases. Hmm. Have to think on that one for a little while. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information <clears throat> on the system of white supremacy. Today's date Saturday October 26, 2019. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call-in. <clears throat> dial in if you have thoughts, suggestions, uh, any observations on the audio segments we just heard. The number to dial 605-313-5164. The code five six four pounds Press star six one if you would like to participate. Few things before we get started: we are listener-supported counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the program is construct, uh, constructive. Visit my blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes dot blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal, we are also on Cash App. Uh, the address: cash.app forward slash dollar sign the cows. <clears throat> Much obliged to all the folks who have supported uh, for a decade plus. I hope the cows has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy. If you are not into all of the high tech means of investing, you can send me an email, and we will get you a physical mailing address. Uh, again, huge thanks to all of our investors. Uh, you can also support by nabbing items from uh, my wish list at Amazon.com. It is under Gus T Renegade. Uh, it is linked at my blog as well. Uh, again, you can hit it from Amazon. Much gratitude to all of the investors who have nabbed items for the past decade. Uh, I hope the cows has provided content that provides accurate information on what white supremacy racism is, what it means to be classified as white and things non-white people can and should be doing to solve this problem immediately. Uh, So first thing... The program yesterday workplace racism uh, i was i forgot to share i was in the middle of going to share and then i forgot dr kamal kambon uh kamal has been a guest on the program many many times over the years he recommended that we send letters uh to support black people uh if you get tremendous service from them they're courteous competent all of that uh, write handwritten letter uh, or some form of kudos to thank them uh, for their service. I think that is black self-respect. <clears throat> I brought that up because I was practicing. Uh, I've been uh, teaching yoga more. We'll be teaching next weekend if you are in the area and want to come take a class. And a black male came and took my class a few weeks back. I saw his wife, who is a black female, I saw her mm maybe a week or so later, week to 10 days later. And she said, oh, yeah, my husband, he took your class. And he said afterwards that his back felt so much better. And he said, wow, I need to do more yoga. I said, that is wonderful. So glad to hear it. Uh, that being of that right there, being able to practice, teach, uh, and help black people feel a little bit better. That right there. Is why I said, yes, I should be teaching yoga. Hoping to get more examples of that where I can get black people do a little teaching. They feel better. No injuries do no harm. Next, uh, let's see. The Moores Ford Bridge lynching. That's from the 1940s. And again, we've talked about that case before. Uh, Keith Beauchamp was a guest on the program uh, several times. Uh, We talked about that case because uh, he did a report uh, on the Moore's Ford Bridge lynching. I think, in fact, that was the first incident that we talked about. He did that documentary on Emmett Till and other projects as well. But this is the first incident that we talked about. And I remember asking him specifically, uh, and I I prefaced it by saying, the system of racism, white people are not ignorant about racism. They're not ignorant about other white people either. And I said, from my studies and and researching your project and other material on this lynching, uh, it's not like it's a secret. It was a mob of whites who participated in the murder and white people generally brag about killing black people. They did so at that time then, and it still seems to be the case now. So it's not like this was a secret uh, or anything that these Negroes were killed. And I asked Mr. Beauchamp, I said, is that true? Uh, people know what happened. They know names and all. And he said, oh, yeah, there's no, there's no ignorance uh, around this. Now, people, they might withhold information. That would be deception. And in fact, that would be an accomplice after the fact uh, because there's no statute of limitations on murder. So if you know information about a murder and you're withholding it, you are an accomplice. <clears throat> anyway, unless I'm misinformed. But I thought that was important. This is not some case where it's, oh, we don't know what happened. We can't figure out who did it. No, that is white people lying as usual. And I I have to say it again. I'm a prenatal yoga instructor. Uh, One of the victims was in her third trimester for this lynching that they still 60 years later are stumbling and fumbling. We we don't know. We're trying to figure it out. It's hard work down here in Georgia. Next. Uh, we talked about on workplace racism, I think two weeks ago, there was a report where it's, uh, this American life, you can verify this American life. They had a report about 30 days ago, maybe not that long ago, where fire departments, uh, many of them, not just one or two, but like many, 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 many fire departments, racism, massive problem. we talked about it a lot, uh, one incident of racism was people whites at the fire department urinating in the helmet and beverage of other firefighters. In fact, it was so bad they had to make a training video to try to encourage, please don't urinate in your fellow firefighters helmet or beverage. I feel like I need to say the last part again. Please don't urinate in your fellow firefighters' beverage. This American Life, you can listen. They talked about it. In fact, that was the lead to the story that was an hour long was, man, can we get them to stop urinating in my helmet and beverage? I said, that must be a core component of white supremacy culture because that is not the first time that we have heard the urine thing. I say we because that is in, I did the the roll call last time, that is in... Richard Williams, black and white, the way I see it, uh, where he talked about a white man in Mississippi pulling out his penis to urinate on him. It's in Madiba uh, World System. It's in Madiba, Long Walk to Freedom, uh, where he was on Robin Island. And he talked about the uh, repeatedly, more, not just the one one off thing, uh, more than once, uh, white guards, Afrikaners coming and urinating on he and other black people uh, in Conteway way. Members and black people who were trying to replace white supremacy with justice, they would come and urinate on them for fun. Uh, I mentioned Chris Kyle. He talked about with glee, urinating on each other when he was in a SEAL team, a Navy SEAL. Uh, and I mentioned the case from 2012, where it was a young black child about to, about the same age as this young girl in New Jersey, Mercer County, where. A, a white man came out and threw a, a balloon filled with urine on him. I said, this must be a core component of of white supremacy culture because it keeps coming. There's more examples than that. I'm just, that's just off the top of my head, my urine file, white supremacy racism. That's a metaphor. That is what I can recall without researching the number of different incidents, uh, evidence that would seem to corroborate whites urinating on black people, weaponizing urine. That seems to be a core component of white supremacy racism. When Mr. Fuller said, what are you doing with that grain of sand? What are you doing with that vial of urine? Using it to dominate you. Probably going to throw it on you in the next 30 seconds. But that case at the Mercer County... Uh, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to leave all of that alone. I will come back to that at the end. Uh, I have to thank Seattle's uh, Azure Savage. That's the young victim of racism. She wrote the book about racism in the school system and the AP class system or the gifted system, whatever... White supremacy in the school system where somehow the classes where you're going to learn. They're going to teach you a lot. It's going to be academically challenging. Try to prepare you for the collegiate track and all of that. Negras are not going to be in that class, the class where you can count beans and maybe they give you a crown. That's the senior class. That is where we will put the nigras at. Have you totally prepared for what we intend to do with Negras? <clears throat> Thank her. Uh, she had, I thought, some really important points. One about naming, being honest about what is happening here. Let's see. Mm, 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 mm. So many things I have to skip. I can just put everything at the end. Uh, Let's see. I will make sure I get in an apology again. I think I'll do at least one more. I'm so sorry. I think last week compensatory call in. We were talking about the honorable Senator Cory Booker and I had the cowbell and was so certain that he had a white parent. I was incorrect. Listeners corrected me. Thankfully, strive for accuracy. I say that all the time. Uh, in no way was that intended to uh, impede his goal to be the next president of the United States. I uh, hope it did not sway anyone. If you intended to support uh, the honorable U.S. Senator Booker, continue to do so. I will try to do better next time, Mr. Booker, not with a white parent. <laughs> My bad, Mr. Booker. Uh, Let's see. If folks could take about five minutes to share their uh, thoughts, comments, observations, that would be grand. If you know you have a lot of background noise, if it's loud, uh, the television is on or what have you, just use your mute button. uh, And that way we do not have to compete with unnecessary noise. And then if you can get to a quiet area, you can unmute, share your thoughts and then mute again. That would be super uh, appreciated. Uh, That first report on bioethics and some of the thoughts on CRISPR, Woo. I would have faxed, and I feel like a real Neanderthal saying faxed uh, to Dr. Welsing the transcript of that report, but wow, that is... When that, that audio segment that I use sometimes where she's talking about the gene editing, uh, just for Additional information context. The last Welsing Institute, where she gave that handout, uh, the handout that she's referencing, talking about CRISPR and the white scientist, uh, who white woman, uh, who was in Hawaii and felt like a freak, and then she got into gene editing. I sent her, I faxed her (laughs) the New York Times report where all of that was discussed, and she included it in the handout. One of our listeners was at her uh, final Welsing Institute meeting and got the handout, and I I faxed that to her. I was able to send that to her, but uh, just for background on that segment where she's talking about CRISPR, that's what she's talking about. That's why I use that every time when it's something related to CRISPR, because that was something that Dr. Welsing followed closely with application to racism, white supremacy. Uh, and so for then, in that segment, they're talking about this gene editing and some of the hazards and this is going to make things worse. And who's going to be able to afford all this fancy technology? Certainly not. Nignish. She said us, but I mean, certainly we don't intend this for niggers. We don't even give them, you know, we maybe give them a crown. And in Chicago, public schools might not even get a crown. I mean, I don't know. Mm. But this is not intended for you all in vitro fertilization. None of this is intended for you CRISPR technology either Uh, and so she says then from that she says so what about racism she says so what if a black parent comes and says hey and we had a healthy dose of black male privilege this week didn't we wow what if a parent comes to me and says oh no i don't want a black male son i was waiting to hear what they were going to say maybe i just don't want a male maybe i just don't want to be black maybe both but it can't be black and male. That was what she said in the report. Black male privilege, I thought. Anyway, uh, she says, what if they say, hey, I figured out the best thing is to make sure I just don't have a black child. Let's make sure they don't have too much melanin. Let's get that CRISPR uh, working on the melanin gene. Dr. Wellsing used to talk about that all the time. I, oh, what a loss. I, I so would have enjoyed hearing her thoughts on that. She used to mention the book specifically. I said, book club." I seriously doubt there's an audiobook, so if somebody wants to go ahead and volunteer, you can read it now, and then we'll have it stored when we're ready to go. George Schuyler's Black No More. She used to reference that book all the time. It is a uh, novel that came out in the 1930s, if memory serves. I have read it already, uh, but it's about technology becomes available where black people can change their exactly what they talked about in that CRISPR scenario black people can uh eliminate their melanin so they will look appear outwardly like someone who would be classified as white that's what the books look like the book is about this technology becomes available how white people respond how black people respond uh she's she's talked about it in detail and i think she talked about it on uh this broadcast as well but That is exactly what they were talking about in the CRISPR uh, segment. And she used to say all the time, you give me those three pills to change your hair, change your skin, change your eyes. She used to say that all the time. I'd be a billionaire overnight. Anyway, interesting. Thinking about the uh, application of that technology. Uh, This program. The compensatory call in. This program exclusively. I request every week please let's not use metaphors wow this week i was almost going to say the cup runneth over we had a plethora of metaphors uh, if if any week emphasizes words are important be mindful when people begin to speak about racism, white supremacy, words are extremely important. The audio clips from this week alone should emphasize. Now we can really get to it. Even in that uh, clip on the ethics, bioethics, they call it, of the CRISPR technology, the word context was used about five times. I lost count. I was going to make a sound clip, and then she kept saying, and I said, oh, we already got an echo effect because she keeps saying context. And then specifically, when she got to the part about racism in CRISPR, context again in the con- in this context, having a black male child, woof let's let's think, do they have the CRISPR? Maybe we can make him make him LGBTQ. Maybe that'll help. So this week, word choice. So back to the New Jersey situation where the black 13-year-old girl was urinated on and called a nigger at the football game. That's another reason to get rid of uh, football. Nothing but hooliganism there. White hooliganism. They said in that report they were at the football game where this young child was urinated on and called a racial slur. Things got out of hand. They said they labeled this an incident of bias. This was at the homecoming football game, mind you. I'll pause before I get to the rest of the words just from this week. Now, you take this incident where a white team, they said these were high school students. So that means you got to be 14, 15, could even be 17. I've seen some high school students that are 18, could be right. Uh, so, I mean, we're we're not talking about, you know, a 10 year old. We're not talking about someone who's, oh, you know struggling with potty training. Remember St. Louis? We just talked about that report from earlier this month where it was a 2-year-old black male child, black privilege, who was out just learning to potty train and he went to urinate in the bushes and the white officer charged him and locked up one of his parents too, charged him with indecent exposure for being out urinating in public. He didn't urinate on someone. He didn't find a wife for you. Dirty cracker. (laughs) That's not what he did. Went in the bushes, tried to be discreet. Whammo. You got something to say? Whammo to you two. I'm gonna lock both of you up. You got white people. I can't even imagine any scenario where I would feel comfortable enough. I'm with all of my friends. I got everybody who's ever listened to the cows with me. Hate you give. They got my back. I cannot imagine a scenario where I would feel so bold. Any point in my life where it was, oh man, I do not like You know what? I'm going to whip out my penis and urinate on this person. Without thinking, I am about to go to jail. I am going to be accused of raping everyone in the first row. Like, I could be castrated on the spot. I could not imagine an environment where I feel like I could... (sighs) White culture, amazing. That's why I said yesterday... Call the police. Call the police if you go report 911. Call the police immediately. I feel like I could be raped any moment. Penis was pulled out. Call the police for anything in school if they're not responding appropriately. Uh, now, back to the words. All of that was things got out of hand. Can you imagine if it had been Michael Brown Jr. and he had whipped out his penis and urinated? on a 13-year-old white girl in public at a football game. And they said, well, you know, things got out of hand. With the words, the segment about North Carolina and they have poor water, the the black people, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, because they didn't say black people. They said, they said underserved and minority communities. Now, I'm trying to imagine if I was a parent, Scotty Reed, North Carolina, I'm trying to imagine if I'm a parent and I'm in North Carolina, I lived in Virginia right next door. If I lived in North Carolina, Rollsville, Greensboro, Tripoint area, any of it. And I'm trying to explain to my offspring why we don't have water. And I say, well, you know, the non-minorities, because they use that word in the report too, the non-minorities. In a fit of racial bias, they gerrymandered us, things got out of hand, and now we have bad quality water. I would be looking at my bed like I have a moron, poor father, and I'm going to get on my phone. Let me Google why we have bad water. What? The non-minorities. Who are you even talking? That right there is another illustration I anytime I hear anyone say, oh, man, we shouldn't say it's white supremacy. We shouldn't identify them as white people. I have come to a conclusion. You have BGQ. I'm not interested in hearing any other terms at this point. I've heard all of the alternatives. If it's non minorities, dominant society, all of that is rubbish. Be direct. Make it simple. Who is causing the problem? And what have you boasted and proudly identified yourself as? White. Going with that, because that is the problem. Racist man, white woman, white man, white child. Who's going around throwing urine on everybody? The people classified as white. Make it simple. Gerrymandering is another one. Do people even know what that word means? I don't know. I mean, I assume that's dangerous, but I assume... A lot of people are accustomed to hearing that used in a political context where they're talking about voting districts and saying, well, this area and it will frequently be tied to racism. That's the case in North Carolina and other regions that this area has been, quote unquote, gerrymandered uh, so that this particular political party will do better or that black voters won't do very well in this uh, particular election. That sort of thing. That's the normal context. But what does that word actually mean? Because they that's what they said with the water problem, gerrymandering, so that they didn't get hooked up to municipal services. I looked it up. Gerrymander. <clears throat> manipulate the boundaries so as to favor one party or class, that's one, to achieve a result by manipulating the boundaries of an electoral constituency. The next one is instance of gerrymandering, and then they have a few more, but If all of this is direct manipulation and probably deceitful at some level to keep people from having a basic human right, water, we should use better terms than just gerrymandering, that the non-minorities gerrymandered us uh, at some point. That's where the word terrorism should be used. Had that come up this week with Colin Gordon. Words are correct. That's when Benjamin Crump talked about genocide. Correct terms should be used. Not we had an act of gerrymandering by non-minorities. Are you serious? Where else? What what other terms did we have this week that were total nonsense and how things were described? Uh, oh, we had the rewind. We had the rewind. Bigotry is cancer. I don't even know what the term bigotry is. I seriously would recommend people not use that one. But I have no idea. Bigotry is a cancer, and he said even when it's in remission, it's still present. All of that, the medical uh, metaphors for white supremacy and racism, none of that is helpful. Why? Discrimination is like irritable bowel syndrome. Make it plain the problem is white people. Now we're being direct. Thank you. Uh, and then we had, that's why I said we had so many of the black, excuse me, Benjamin Crump, he said that his sister, when her child, I forgot the cowbell there, my apologies, it was a lot of language things happening this week, that was my focus, but when he said that his nephew touched that white girl on the bottom, he does not listen to the cows, Touch that white girl on the bottom. And they were ready to do the correct thing, what they would not do when that white racist urinated on that black 13-year-old in Mercer County, New Jersey. They were ready to do the correct thing with Benjamin Crump's nephew. (laughs) Rape, assault, we'll have you on death row in the next 30 seconds before we finish recess. He said that his sister went to that school to talk to that white principal and felt like she had to beg the plantation master for her black son's Life, black male privilege again. That was the only one that I thought that is acceptable because that is the truth. We are still on the plantation. That's the way that I scri- describe the city of Seattle every time. Not that I'm in the best city, I'm in the best plantation. That is not a metaphor, that is an accurate description for the system of white supremacy. She was that was the only one that I said, boo. That is correct. No metaphor there. I had to beg the plantation master for her black son's life. Context of white supremacy. So after all of that, if we could not use metaphors for this one broadcast, racists do that all the time. A white racist will piss on your daughter and they will say, well, things got out of hand. Frequently, they will compare two things and say, these are identical. Frequently, they are not. That is master deception, white supremacy racism. Victims of racism, myself included, we have been exposed to this misconduct, racism, for centuries. And so many of us have been adversely impacted. Sometimes we're still learning. We haven't come to a conclusion We will substitute an analogy, comparison of some sort for logic. Frequently, that just contributes more confusion. If we could be direct, exact about what it is that we want to say, that would be appreciated. I will prompt about the metaphors. You just heard a lengthy list of why. We don't want to be talking about white supremacy racism and then be reduced to articulating that as things got out of hand. Or even worse, the non-minorities got out of hand. They gerrymandered us again. The number is 605-313-5164, the code five six four pounds Press star 61 if you would like to participate. First few folks who dialed in, if you have uh, comments to share, the line should be open. Proceed.
1: Can't be heard. Greetings,
22: Thomas in New York.
1: Greetings, Gus. Gerrymandering. Yeah, yeah. Um, great show as always, um, great clips. Um, now, two 17-year-old boys were accused of harassing the four African-American middle school girls using racial slurs, urinating on one of the victims. Uh, they faced charges, of uh, including bias, intimidation, and loot lists. Um This was at the high school football game in um, Lawrence Township, New Jersey.
26: Um, it was
1: partly um, captured on video, they said. I saw a little bit of this and uh, the people who, the, the person, the, the males who peed on the black girls, children were um, Hindus, Indians, you know, red dot, not feathers, you know, Hindus. And um, some of the most um, anti-black people you'll ever meet are the Hindus the ones I've experienced and uh, I would say I probably live around in a city with more of them than anyone else um but terrible people um and of course white people are treating this like these are two white kids that did this not um you know not like they're gonna um, really punish them any differently than they'll punish um white children it's not called any sex act because they pull their penises out on these little girls if they're 17 which um is one year away from being a child as an adult and these children um little girls I believe were sophomores. So um but either way they're just being charged with a bias, um some bias of, you know, intimidation and lewdness, which is, you know, means nothing, a misdemeanor. Uh in UConn, you had two white students and I'm putting these two stories together, not the one I just spoke about, but these two I'm about to talk about. UConn, two white students arrested and charged for shouting nigger walking across campus. Um, The police found them, charged them um, with um, some type of bias intimidation charges as well. Also when a Democrat representative, Daniel Hunt, in Boston is trying to pass a law and makes using the word bitch a crime punishable up to six months in prison. Two bad words. Unfortunately, I can't see anyone being penalized for using these words that this is the new way they're going forward, Uh, more than Black people who uh, uh, have put these words inside their vernacular. And, um, you know, we don't mean it in a harmful way, but if we're going to start being charged with hate crimes for using these words, guarantee um that we will you know feel the impact of that um going forward the CRISPR, um very interesting um technology the new um way they're able to do it you know i've been studying CRISPR as well for some time um you know this is all transhumanism and eugenics being put together um And this is the end um, capacity of the what you would get from the human genome project. Um, just the last thing I wanted to say, Gus, it was a video that surfaced in New York city with a black male, he's, um, fighting what appeared to be another black male. And it's pushing and shoving and grabbing. And there's a white female who's on the video and she's like putting her finger at the black male saying something. So when the pushing and shoving stops a black male who was pushing another black male ends up standing right next to this white female and she immediately tries to turn away and walk away like she wasn't just pointing the finger and yelling at him and he pushed her from behind into the subway Uh, so of course white people are outraged here and um what they're trying to do is um have an algorithm put inside the cameras that uh um, on all the subways of public transportation in New York and they want to ban this blackmail from using any public transportation and of course um, the city's picking up the lawsuit saying that's against the law you can't do that, this is public services so the uh, verdict is out on that one, that's very interesting give my line, you.
22: Wow, that is p- punitive blackmail privilege uh, again uh, to have that sort of Uh, Ban. That's why uh, Mr. Fuller said, you know, just try to be as careful as you can. White women, white men practice white supremacy, racism. uh, Just try to be as careful as you can and try to avoid uh, any sort of confrontations uh, with whites while you're out in public. Uh, Certainly not saying you, you know, instigating anything most of the time. That's not the case. But even if they start something, getting your nerves, if it is an option. Sometimes it isn't. But if it is an option, just try to get away if you can, Uh, because it's so dead. That's why you have that whole broadcast. uh, Whites can ruin your life in five minutes. Uh, Just something so simple can escalate and they're going to have support. They're going to have other whites who come and help them uh, practice racism before, during, after the fact. We talked about that with the Morris Ford uh, Bridge lynching. You'll have accomplices even after the incident is over. So just under the system, uh, try as best you can. Uh, if you can exit, get out of that situation. If you can flee, try to see if you can. Uh, things can escalate and go bad very, very quickly, especially once other racists get involved. Uh, let's see, other folks, uh, if you have comments, questions to share, lines should be open. Star 61 if you have thoughts to share. While we're waiting for folks to get their thoughts together. No spectating. Uh, We should be here. Uh, One, if folks would like to volunteer. Cannot believe I forgot to say that at the beginning. uh, We have folks uh, who have a little free time. We just started Paul Robeson's. uh, Or Gerald Horns. Excuse me. Dr. Gerald Horns biography on Paul Robeson. Uh, We just started on Thursday. It is not a lengthy book. We will not be on it very long. I think uh, there should be a max of maybe hmm, five to six sessions. I think total. We've already done one. Um, if we have folks who would like to volunteer, that way no one has to do the entire uh, book. And you know, if we have enough folks, maybe everybody can just take one turn, or you know, we can rotate. But if we have folks who'd like to volunteer, I know Henry in Chicago, uh, retired firefighter. Uh, if we get the more folks, we get. The Light of the Load is uh, for all. Uh, Again, the book is not very long, and I don't think, since I read the first week uh, in Henry in Chicago, uh, I don't think there are too many uh, difficult pronunciations. Like, I don't think you'll need a thesaurus or anything uh, if you just have the means to do the recording. Quiet space and the means to do the audio recording. That would be grand. I appreciate volunteers for that to help us uh, do some reading. Reading. More important. Than watching television absolutely uh, i can say really quick uh as well for the uh the i guess the academic program where they give you the test kindergarten they said you're about five six years old they give you some sort of academic test uh, and then they take all of the supposedly really smart students root them out there and leave all the riffraff uh, behind. Uh, I can say that I also was frequently one of the only, uh, or the uh, only black student in many classes. It was uh, terrible, particularly being in that environment and not uh, understanding racism. White supremacy uh, was just awful. And the same thing, That she described uh, in the segment about the so-called segregation, not the best term, where uh, you'll be in a school that does have black students. Sometimes, like she said about Garfield High School, which I've been by many times, uh, it'll be a lot of black people at the school, but they won't be in those particular classes. Uh, They'll be, like I said, the bean counting class, the, uh, the Crayola class, maybe, might not have crowns, don't know what the budget is. Uh, But I have seen that. I have experienced uh, that exact same so-called segregation. They are experts. We had that program, uh, Stuart Buck, uh, his book, uh, Acting White, uh, where he talked about uh, the exact same thing, uh, where he said Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, That was one response. We'll put all the niggers in the school, but we'll just fix it so that we'll have all the remedial classes for them. And then we'll put all the white kids in the smart classes and we'll do it that way. Maybe we'll bring one Negro along, put them in the smart class, will abuse them, piss on them the whole way, and, you know, say we 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 are fully integrated at this year, middle school, or high school, or whatever it is. Anywho, uh, 605-313-5164, decode 564-943- pound. Press star 61 if you would like to partic- participate. Uh, I did forget Uh, One more thing as well. For the broadcast yesterday, workplace racism, we had uh, someone request suggestions. They said that uh, a parent, particularly in light of the situation in New Jersey with the urine, uh, but it was a black, uh, young black girl, uh, about the same age, 13, 14, somewhere in there. And she said that it was about the same thing, uh, except it was a white student who was going around harassing uh, female students, pulling up their shirt and that sort of thing. The school wasn't taking it seriously. What would you recommend? Uh, I think I and some others said call the police, make a police report. If you're a parent, you contact enforcement officials. They will. Uh, the school officials sometimes will start to be more aggressive in handling the situation and dealing with the problem if they've been very lax in doing so before. Uh, but go to the police immediately. That uh, is sexual assault, uh, pulling up someone's clothes at that age, 14, 15, even if it's younger, but certainly 14, 15, we're talking about high school students. Like, come on, call the police. Uh, If we have parents who have any thoughts on how they would deal with that, uh, if there was a a student in the school uh, who was harassing a male student uh, at the school, harassing sexually uh, female students and nothing was being done about it, how would you handle it? What would you tell your uh, offspring? That would be good to hear from parents. Uh, other folks who dialed in uh, with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed.
21: Can I be heard? Greetings, Imhan D.C. Uh, yes, sir. Greetings and greetings to everyone. Speak about a few things. Uh, the workplace racism um, yesterday, I was asked, what is a real estate broker. And I think perhaps the question more was, what is a realtor? And so a real estate broker is a realtor who's had a little more experience and has had their um, experience signed off by their current broker. But a realtor is a person who brings the seller and the buyer together. The realtor is a third party oftentimes they're not necessary. Sometimes they can be useful. The other thing I was going to say about AP classes or advanced placement classes, uh, my mother put all of her children in advanced placement classes um, through, through elementary and middle school. I was in a private school Uh, owned by my family but then after that I went to like my last year of middle school I went to um, public school in my high school years I was in public school and my mother put us in advanced placement and um, she knew about it because she was a part of the um, teacher parent teacher association and she spoke with a lot of the White female um, parents, and they knew. Obviously, they, they have the information, so she was able to get information from that. I believe, I think she also got it from a number of her classes that um, uh, she took in college. What uh, her her degree um, led her towards that, to where she she knew about a number of programs that um, were available. And when I was in AP classes. I was often the la- or the only black person in class. Um, I remember, well, just being a school period, I remember mid- middle school, I didn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was the last person to leave the class for that. Like a number of things where we would do things like in protest, you know, because we're feeling like, you know, we're black and we're being um, mistreated because uh, because the teachers are white. And we went to private school, so you know a lot of things we weren't really exactly used to. And so our protest, we always, you know, they, they put us back in our place. But anyway, um, in AP classes, the white students would cheat off of each other. Uh, all my siblings have the same report. My mother even has the same report when she was in school. Uh, she was telling me about the students and how they cheated. But I remember, I've mentioned this on the couch before, I believe anyway, Uh, every morning the white students would pass around their homework and copy it, but it, it was like a, what people call a click. So certain people were, it was most, most of the students were allowed to get this information, but some of them were left out of the group. But I knew various ones of those white students. And so I would get the information. But I, often, I would do my work anyway, but I would still want to know, hey, y'all, you're passing around the right answers? I, I want to know what y'all talking about. But, you know, you had to really work some type of, how do you say, it, it, uh, it was very difficult trying to convince white students to give you the same work that they're passing around to all the other students. So I remember they, um, I, I remember a lot about it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was with handguns, um, a 45 caliber is not a good caliber. It's really loud and it's really powerful. It just kinda, it just, it will um, push you back more than like a nine millimeter. And it's ridiculously loud. And it doesn't make a whole bunch of a difference when it impacts the target. Um, Nine millimeters better. And the Indian, East Indians, claiming to be white or acting like they're white. I was working at a Mexican restaurant owned by East Indian, which is kind of funny to me, but he, um and he his color was a little bit lighter than Obama. And he was telling me all through school, all the way up until like high school, he thought he was a white person. And he would hang out with the white people and wear their clothes, you know, white quote unquote white clothing and, and act like them and everything. But then once he got to high school, um they made it clear to him that he was not a white person. And that was that was interesting. But he had a whole lot of what people would call bias or racism against uh, black people you know when we would speak um he was an engineer so we had a lot to speak about but it would still eventually get to to the point where you know it, it was racism and I would explain to him um just my views on racism and we, you know we would continue our conversations um if there's anything else I have to add, I'll add it later. Thank you.
22: Much obliged, M. Hondisi. Thank you for sharing. The non-minorities, they will let you know. Oh, no. You are a minority. They will let you know. Uh, and that withholding information, see that their pattern? Consistent. The Moors Ford bridge lynching withholding information can't find out who did this killing elementary school or middle school can i get can i get the 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 homework from that? oh no i not okay <laughs> like uh withholding information and that cheating is rampant like that is the system of racism white supremacy deception uh that's the whole uh college admission scandal that they got right now i mean that's through and through uh in the system of racism white supremacy lies and deception uh other folks that uh we have missed completely uh, if you have commentary to share proceed
27: can i be heard
22: greetings retired firefighter
27: greetings gus greetings everyone i'm reporting from the quote-unquote state of oklahoma um I missed the program uh last night. I guess I got mixed up with the time difference, <laughs> still thinking that I was in uh quote unquote uh the place called miami gardens uh but anyway, uh here for uh the occasion that's generally called homecoming uh really is only about my third or fourth time. Uh, returning to the state of Oklahoma since I graduated undergrad uh, in 1979. Uh, Interesting uh, state. Of course, everyone knows that uh, just about everything has accumulated with the uh, quote-unquote football game. No, I did not stand for that song. (laughs) Well, I don't know whether you want to call it a song or not, but... I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's called a national anthem. Uh uh just quietly, not making any symbolic gesture of anything, just they said to stand and I didn't. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Uh they said take off your hat and I didn't. So uh didn't get any uh any uh, uh obvious uh opposition uh to do that. Uh Interesting observations that I made Uh, uh, too much negative activity with fraternities and sororities Uh, compartmentalizing uh, to the unnecessary point Uh, just about all of these organizations are literally uh, claiming to do the same thing. So why is why is it so essential? To have these different names and and different colors that they represent, and everybody is black, quote unquote. Uh, there is I I heard a, almost some boasting about the the uh, advent of joining one of these organizations, and people and people will get you into certain things like a job. Well, I can. I can state for myself personally, historical-wise, it wasn't nobody uh, in Omega 5 Fire that got me a job with the fire department or when I was teaching or anything like that. I can tell you on that. Matter of fact, it wasn't even anybody that was a member of Omega sci Fi on the fire department except for me uh, in itself. So that's not really a reality, which is one of, these uh, organizations' main bragging points. Uh, but constructive-wise, uh, I did engage in exchanging views on racism, white supremacy, with several, several people uh, that were younger than myself, were basically almost the whole game, I talked with a uh, young black male who was 40 years old, who also was a former graduate from Detroit, Michigan, Uh, that uh, hopefully he is listening to the program. I described the program, uh, the cows in itself, and informed him of what we generally uh, do uh, and the advent that the host uh, actually does a uh, means of uh, inviting white people who are, quote-unquote, who claim to be experts uh, college professors on the program. And he was uh, interested enough to want to try to with him and his wife to pay attention to it. He said, so I gave him the, uh, the uh, means to be able to do that. And hopefully he would tune into, and hopefully he may be even tuning, tuning into it now. Uh, so uh, that is big. I even had a conversation with a ex-girlfriend that I had in college uh where talked about racism and, and why she was important is because she grew up in the Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I expressed to her on how I had never heard about the Tulsa, that Tulsa incident until after I left from undergraduate college. And she mentioned about some relatives that had property, that was destroyed due to that incident in Greenwood, the Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's my report. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Much
22: obliged, retired firefighter Mr. Fuller did say he, uh, native of uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma.
24: Muskogee, yes. Mm-hmm. He
22: did say that they did not discuss his family and the black people that he grew up around. They did not discuss. The Tulsa incident of white terrorism. Maybe that was Uh uh, gerrymandering by non-minorities, too. (laughs) Mr. Fuller uh, knew
27: my head coach, too. hmm. The guy who coached me in college, he knew him. From Muskogee, Oklahoma, also. Mm Mm-hmm.
22: He said, yeah, you know, they didn't talk about it. So I'm not surprised to hear that you didn't hear anything about it there. Uh, that is pretty typical on uh, the system, uh, but much obliged for the promotion. Uh, hope it is worthy of the folks time and energy if they choose to listen in. But that is right out of the code book. Speaking of Mr. Fuller, constructive uses of time and energy exchanging views. Uh, and in fact, that happened uh, to me today. I was talking. Uh, With a black uh, female, I went to yoga, take class, get a little exercise, great, self-care, and the discussion moved to uh, Halloween costumes, and, you know, I'm not, if anybody here is participating, you know, I don't think that's on the list of constructive use of uh, time and energy participation in holidays. And I was even thinking about that, like, man, like to have to invest time and energy talking about Halloween decor like we have. Benjamin Crump is saying genocide and we're talking about, you know, what what sort of uh, get up you're going to have for this one evening, (laughs) like for one One event, one Halloween getup, and then, you know, November comes and it's on to the next. We got to get ready to get that turkey together. I mean, time and energy is so critical. Uh, Racists, they do an extraordinary job of, they waste our time. They do a lot of that, buckets of words, and a lot of other ways they waste our time. Uh, And then they take our time and invest it in things that support the system of racism uh, and or out-and-out foolishness. Uh, Halloween costumes, that type of thing. We got problems. Time and energy is important, not finite. Other folks that we have not heard from uh, at all, uh, if you have comments, suggestions, questions to share, proceed. May I be heard? Yes, sir.
26: Yes, good evening guests, good evening callers, good evening participants. Hope everybody's having a constructive evening. Um, am curious, had you had the opportunity or occasion to discuss an article that was recently published in the Washington Post um, on the workplace racism I was a between yesterday about AI face AI face scan deciding whether or not you decide a job by Drew Hallwell from the October.
22: I did not discuss that particular report. I'll try to access it now. What's the title again?
26: ai face scans are deciding whether you deserve your job, written by Drew Harwell, um, published on October 24, 2019. I found it quite fascinating because it, it has a lot of implications. In um, in the in the context of white supremacy, from my from my view, But like I I think like I said, everybody should at least um, have a moment to check that out when they when they have opportunity. And it has a hazard, you know, not just in workplace racism, but as a um, as a um, you know the te- technological aspects of the refinement. And I think um, Thomas would probably be interested in that as well. Ah, oh, I think
22: I got it. A face scanning algorithm incre- increasingly decides whether you deserve the job. view, that's what it's called. View claims it uses artificial intelligence to decide who's best for a job. Outside experts call it profoundly disturbing. Hmm. Very I'll uh share it online so that others can check it out. Let's see. Yeah, much reading more important than watching Tell. oh they called it pseudoscience. I guess I'll share that one portion. It's profoundly disturbing. It's a profoundly disturbing development that we have proprietary technology that claims to differentiate between a productive worker and a worker who isn't fit based on their facial movements, their tone of voice, their mannerisms said Meredith Whitaker, a co-founder of the AI Now Institute, a research center in New York. Research center. It's pseudoscience. Heard that before. It's a license to discriminate. Gerrymander, she added. And the people whose lives and opportunities are literally being shaped by these systems don't have any chance to weigh in. I'll stop there. They go on. It's uh, a little bit lengthy, but Worth reading, looks like. Uh, I will share the title again. A face-scanning algorithm increasingly decides whether you deserve the job with the Washington Post, uh, just published yesterday. Much obliged for sharing, sir. Uh, did you have anything else? You just wanted to make sure we check this report out.
26: Um, yes, that's it. Um, I was wondering if it, if it came up on what those racism but um, I'll continue listening. Some other stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll continue listening. Thank you
22: much obliged sir uh other folks who dialed in that we have missed totally uh, if you have comments questions to share proceed right on while wow, folks are getting their thoughts together number again 6 05-313-5164, five, three three, five decode 564 four pounds press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, if we do have parents, you have thought, what if I tell them, or what do I tell my child? you know if it looks like something's gonna go down, what do I want them to do? leave blah blah blah, call me whatever it is uh what would you be doing? Your daughter comes home, son comes home and says, "Oh, yeah, they got this guy uh student at school and uh he's going around lifting up uh some of the female students' clothing and you know saying uh inappropriate things, sexual things, and you know the teachers the administrators know but they're not doing anything he's not being taken out of class he hasn't been suspended or anything he's still hanging out doing the same thing uh if you are a parent uh that would be good again i am not a parent but my view call the police uh for anything that is a crime someone would be arrested for doing that someone should be arrested for doing that call the police that would be my view that tends to get the school to behave correctly not always but can't have and again uh Miss Jefferson, the situation in Texas, you know, calling the police can be a hazard in and of itself. Uh, Folks still spectating or other folks have comments, questions they want to share? I'm going to
1: try and do more work.
22: Oh, yeah. Thomas in New York. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, definitely call the police because I would, I would I would imagine um the average male on this line if that was happening and it happened to their daughter and you'll be putting yourself in a much worse situation because you're gonna go and try to handle that on your own. So um if they're doing it to other people, you know, call the police. You know if you have a daughter in that school and you tell your son stay the heck away from him 'cause, because you know. Um some uh when people are able to get away with behavior it becomes contagious. You know, they all take advantage of that. As we see with white supremacy, you know, if they're, if they if they weren't able to get away with it, it would they wouldn't be doing it. Um there's an article in the Gateway Pundit. Uh it's titled, Hmm, Transgender Model Files Police Report after being denied a porn job due to her penis um goes on to say this lady via who transitioned two to three times back and forth from man to woman believes it's her right to cast and be cast in a porn production Um, to make a long story short a male a man a white man um and this white man who is a transgender but didn't have the surgery but was online acting, I guess, posing as if they did have the surgery. So a a man reached out and said, hey, I'm a porn producer. I want to do a movie with you. And um, I guess exposed the fact that, you know, you have a fake vagina. And when it was time to do the movie and they took off their clothes, they still had their penis. So the guy says, hey, I didn't, you know, come here to do a movie with a a male trainee. I thought you were, uh, you know... You were, didn't have that equipment anymore, so he canceled the photo shoot. And she, he is suing him now, saying that he has been discriminated against due to the fact that he has his penis still. But then the police report—the only reason why I brought this up on the out. Um, he writes, um, when the man discovered that Via has made this, that had male sexual organs, he broke the contract, saying he would not work with us because she still had a cop. Via said, and this is in the report, I'm reporting this as a hate crime. It is like calling someone who is black the N-word. It doesn't matter that if I have a cop or not. So she's using it her defense, and this is in England, uh, but sort of like a a civil rights type offense, like what Mr. Clump or someone would be, you know, doing. And I just feel like this is the next level of um, white supremacy, more confusion. I mean, you could go from being a man one day to a woman the next day, to a man the next day, and then they tell them that they could use the bathroom they want to now. So um, it, it kind of got to remember Rachel Dolezal. You know, um, she's posing herself as a black woman, but any day she could go back to be a white woman. I mean, it's just, hey, I'm not going to, that much i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my white life and you know it, it's sort of like that you know it's like you could just go back and forth you know um but very interesting story because i think mr fuller says the next step the lgbt thing will change all of um uh, how we look at racism white. Like, um
22: what well, that that word like simile it's like i say that pretty much every uh compensatory call in be mindful when they make those analogies and comparisons uh that frequently it is inaccurate uh part of major deception uh and That is standard operating procedure worldwide, white saying that they are a victim somehow, that they have been uh, mistreated and they will use the most aggressive uh, language, sometimes the most dramatic uh, and hyperbolic language possible. The example you just heard is like you're calling me a nigger. Uh, That is pretty consistent uh, system of racism. So, yeah, no surprises there. Just be mindful of, of how common. Uh, that is in the system uh, of ra- and in my view, it's common. And those are acts of racism uh, because they're just being willfully uh, deceptive. And exactly what you just said, it just spreads confusion about racism. That's the exact same thing I said with Professor Colin uh, Gordon uh, this week uh, that because he says he had or he just, it's not that he says it's on his faculty page at the University of Iowa. <clears throat> That he teaches a class called the History of Inequality in America. And it's racist. It's it's that right there. Racism and LGBTQ and poor white people and disability. And, you know, you just throw it. Maybe people with glasses, too. We'll put that in there. Uh, We got lots of discrimination. And that sort of thing It causes confusion, mass confusion about what white supremacy racism is, how it works. All of that deliberate racism. Other folks uh, who dialed in, uh, if we've not heard from you at all, make sure you speak up. Uh, if other folks have comments, questions they want to share, proceed.
27: Yes, can I be heard?
22: Retired firefighter.
27: Yes, uh, uh, I think one of the one of the uh, means of. Uh, anti-sexual LGBT, um, uh, behavior is, uh, so powerful is because it's quite flexible. It's a flexible weapon, meaning that the racist white supremacists can, uh, can adapt it and change it at their will, uh, to be able to fit whatever uh, issue that they want to make problematic, uh, they can do that. Um, I've been noticing that recently, uh, uh, uh you know, a lot around in, in this part of the world, uh, where it's, you know, quite popular and talked about on a daily basis and to where they can actually intimidate, uh, large groups of non-white people who are victims of racism and white supremacy. I was just listening uh, today on on uh, the news, watching the news up here, and there's this report that came out that stated that uh, the white male that's vying for president, I can't think of his name, it's not really important anyway, because I think uh, y'all know who that is, uh, that uh, he is not getting enough support from "quote unquote" non-white black people because of his sexual "quote unquote", quote unquote choices, and that made a about a fifteen to twenty-minute report on black people are not going to vote for him because he's a homosexual. You know, just as simple as that. You know, they they can you know they just it's it's like Mr. Fuller said, it's it's a weapon that is utilized against retar- retarding our efforts towards destroying the system of racism and white supremacy. Uh, yeah, it was something else that had come to my mind after a while. But go ahead, thank you. Much
22: obliged. Uh, The white woman who was talking about CRISPR and racism, she kept saying context, uh, Francois Baylis, B-A-Y-L-I-S, and her book is Altered Inheritance, CRISPR, and the Ethics of Human Genome Editing. Uh, might be worth checking out, might even see if we can get her to be a guest on the program. I think Dr. Welsing would have definitely said, oh, yeah, you should talk to her, <laughs> like, uh, see if we can get her on. But Altered Inheritance is the name of her book. Uh, Francois Baileys looks like a woman who would be classified as white. And I think she's in Canada. So global system, always great to uh, keep your literature with that global perspective in mind. Uh other folks, uh, thoughts, questions? Uh, again, parents shouldn't be spectating. If you have suggestions you would share with your offspring.
1: Uh, one more thing, Doug. Uh, it goes in line with CRISPR. And there's an article this week. Um, it's in the uh, activist post, uh, activistpost.com or .net. Very good news site, uh, but it's linked in... Um, it's called the BMI or BCI um, one of the research orders It's the brain-machine interface or brain-computer interface, which um, is something that can be inserted into your brain as young as a small child, but it will make you uh, extremely advanced in learning and um, able to do other things um, as far as merging with the technologies that we all use every day um, to make it more efficient. And um, this article, um, it links it to the eugenics and the transhumanist um, experiments. It it kind of um, goes through where where this all started and who invented it. But in the article, it mentions that um, one of the major reasons they got research from the Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation and others to do this project was because of the civil unrest in the Black communities in the '60s, and it, um, they wanted to create a brain interface that would make that would render people um, pretty much um, from being mad to being, um, you know, confused or you know, stop stop protesting instantly, just drop your drop your the sign and walk away. Um, and that was one of the major reasons why they got billions of dollars of research for this. And um, they experimented on this, on several black males during the um to with these brain machines, you know, computers. And back then, this was a surgery where they would have to actually go into your brain and put the electrodes on there. It's not like the non-invasive surgeries that they are planning on doing. Um, But um, this technology uh, coming full circle to today um, is um, um, Novelink, which is Elon Musk, and um, Zuckerberg, Facebook, which is both putting out a product next year, uh, first implants that... For people to actually put on their brains, and um, they're telling people with money that sort of like the crystal, you know, get your genes all sit- situated so you'll never get sick and never get a disease, and then put this on your baby's brain, and he'll be so much far, far advanced than these lowly people from the poor, poor areas, you know, black people, that you know they won't never be able to compete um, um, mentally. Um, but just to, in line with the CRISPR, they have this other technology to enhance the brain that's also coming out.
22: Refinements, always the refinements. Some of that is discussed in uh, altered inheritance. Uh, I didn't play the entire clip, but again, maybe we'll see if we can uh, we can get Miss. Uh, bayless uh, on the broadcast. Uh, also if folks had any thoughts on the segment that talked about the rising rates of suicide for black teens. Thought that was significant. Uh, for the way I think Dr. Welsing probably would have had a thought or two to share on that as well. Uh, the number again 605 313 5164 B code 564 nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate
27: can I be heard yes sir on the advent of the uh, heightening uh, numbers of suicide uh, it's especially high with black males uh, I kind of like have seen it coming, getting worse. Well, not coming, but getting worse and worse over the years. The potential, even the potential standpoint, because you know from my workings with uh, young black males uh, in sports, the sport of football, uh, it's like a. I don't care about it. If they they get angry about something, I don't care about anything. I'll just do whatever, you know, without thinking, that sort of thing. Uh, And it's it's, it's basically a a result of the conditions from where they come from, which is, of course, induced by the global system of racism and white supremacy. I've even heard a report that there is a rather alarming rate with Black children as young as six years old, uh, and also uh, the weaponry. Uh, there's more easier access to uh, for that to happen for someone to make a rational decision, uh, and the gun is a few feet away from them in the apartment or house where they reside at. Uh, so I can see how that possibility. Uh, can take place with the condition plus the means to accomplish the task. Uh, I was a witness to several of them during my career as a firefighter, as far as going on the call, uh, and and I'm talking about in the in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, where that took place. Matter of fact, it was a it was a uh, non white black male that actually planned uh, on where he was going to shoot himself at. Uh, he but he wasn't uh, he wasn't successful because he didn't know exactly uh, that the heart is is kind of like wedges more on close to the left side of your chest, and he uh, actually uh, missed the mark. Uh, thankfully you know but when you go on those calls you really don't know the full aftermath of the person or anything like that it's just a professional routine thing that you uh have encountered with a particular stranger a strange person uh and that part of the story we did have understanding of but yeah I, i can see that happening and and unfortunately getting worse.
22: Much obliged, retired firefighter. The system of white supremacy does a lot of damage. Uh, That's what I said. I think Dr. Welsing would have probably found that uh, report fascinating. She did uh, decades of work as a child and general psychiatrist in Washington, D.C. She saw a lot of black people, and she talked about a lot of black people who had uh, a lot of depression, a lot of black males in particular. She used to talk about cannabis consumption and say that is depression, as a result of the system of racism, white supremacy and all the anxiety uh that they are experiencing and trying to uh self medicate, manage as best they can. So I know she would have had quite a bit uh to say. Uh other folks who dialed in, uh if they're folks we missed totally, make sure you speak up. If others uh if you have other questions, thoughts you would like to share, proceed may i be heard greetings miss tn
13: hello um the author you had on on wednesday and um they asked him the question of why he wrote the book and you know he was fumbling around with his answers but the only thing i could think of when they asked that question was neilie fuller when he said uh, that white people do stuff for fun Glory and materialistic gain. That's you know, <laughs> that was the answer that uh, he should have gave, as opposed to the one that he did give. Um, it's been over I'll, I'll say a month ago. Um, I was traveling to see my my parents in another state, and um, was pulled over for speeding. And uh, when I the cop he came to the the window and he asked you know, standard uh, to see uh, my driver's license and insurance. And he he did that. And uh, he went, uh, I guess, back to the car to run my information. And then he came back to the car and he asked me, he said, um, do you have any um, anything illegal in the car? Or do you have any weapons? In the car and i said no i do not have anything illegal in the car and i left it at that thanks
22: wow probably thought you had some weapons to go do some gerrymandering uh... Much obliged for sharing. I'm glad that that was a safe uh, encounter because those can, <laughs> what I said earlier, those stops and everything, having those encounters. That's why I say that at the end of the broadca- uh, broadcast about, you know, being buckled up and sober and everything. Glad you had your seatbelt. Did you have your seatbelt on when you were stopped, if I can ask? Yes. Love it. Love it. Because uh, those sort of things can go bad uh, so quickly uh, with the assumption. That, you know, you've got a rocket launcher stashed underneath or in the glove compartment, probably, uh, or, you know, any number of other semi-automatic rifles uh, and everything just stashed under the seat cushion, ready to attack. Uh, An excuse, frequently, and I mean frequently, that'll be the excuse, you know, I thought she had a weapon, you know, she, she looked at me surly, she was speeding. And, uh, you know, so I had to shoot her a hundred times, and then it turned out that it was a phone. But, you know, got to be safe, frightening uh, negros out here. Uh, But I'm glad you were able to get through the uh, experience Safely stop for speeding. That is, look. That's why I say that at the end. They are looking for a reason to stop. Like, oh, it looks. like they think she was going 65 and a 64, or she didn't have a seatbelt on, or anything. That is the environment that we're in. Just try to minimize as best we can. That is exactly why the program ends as it does. Act. My goodness. <laughs> I, they have freaking act. Somebody mentioned that on the program some time ago. Uh, that, they have, uh, that they were with white friends, quote-unquote, and they were participating in axe-throwing. And I hadn't seen or heard that before. And then, lo and behold, they have axe-throwing here in Seattle now. I have never been and do not anticipate going. I wouldn't feel safe in such an environment. Uh, but, wow, axe-throwing. They do have that as a recreational activity. With alcohol, no less. You can drink a beer and throw an axe. Uh, other folks have uh, comments, questions to add. May I be heard? Greetings caller in Florida.
28: Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, that one incident where I guess it was at a, a football game or a homecoming game. And I did hear the terms, uh, I guess the the victim of racism was hurt and confused. That's interesting to use the term confused. Uh, it's like they definitely know how we're being traumatized, and uh, whether it looks like what they said it was a Indian American or Indian Americans definitely is uh, going according to the system of white supremacy's programming, and how. Uh, people react to the term black and black people are being horribly mistreated worldwide. Uh, And I noticed the term, uh, the sentence was used, some would call, I think it says, some would call bias incident. They calling it a bias incident. Um, Definitely, I agree with we need more accuracy in terms. Uh, There was another segment I saw earlier this week it was a white man speaking about uh, the victim of racism, Elijah Cummings. Uh, he said something about that people were saying that he had an unexpected relationship, or unexpected friendship. My, sorry about that. Friendship. Uh, and he says that he wouldn't call it an unexpected friendship. Uh, and then he said some other terms. But it's, it, it was confusing because he opened up saying that other people were calling it unexpected. And then he said something saying that it wasn't. And then he ends his comment saying that, well, I think this country would be a lot better if we had more of these unexpected friendships. So just a bunch of confusion there. Um, and one last thing is Um, there was an article that was, uh, out and then it was a commercial about this article about saying that, uh, men can now get periods and periods. It's a company called thinks, uh, T H I N X. And they, now they have this advertisement going on, I guess, trying to market underwear for periods for males. So, um, that's definitely, uh, disturbing to me, in my opinion. Uh, And it looks like they were um, running this ad as well. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Much obliged. Wow.
22: We will have males with a menstrual cycle before we can replace white supremacy with justice. That is the world in which we live. Priorities. Prior- that when Mr. Fuller says how we use our time and energy. That you have people with the brain power when he talks about will and ability. You have people apparently with the knowledge. The ability. Even though you have a penis and two testicles. I think we can sit down and figure out a way for you to menstruate. And then figure out how to do that. Ending the mistreatment of black people. Can we stop gerrymandering? Can we get the non-minorities to stop gerrymandering and practicing incidents of racial bias? Let's get back to the uh, menstruation thing. I think that'll be easier. How do you invest your time and energy? That is... Major part about how we go about solving this problem. What are our priorities? What could possibly be more important than replacing white supremacy with justice? Uh, Other folks with a question or comment they wanted to make sure they got in. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, Ivy.
23: Greetings, Gus. Uh, there's a lot of distortion in your line again.
26: I heard a
22: little bit of it. Uh, let's see. Is, am I being
27: heard?
23: That's better. Okay, great,
27: great. Yeah.
23: Okay, um, I wanted to bring up about, uh, you know, I've heard, I hear all the time, actually, about just people saying that, you know, black people should, you know, they should come out of, they should come out of entertainment and sports and all these different things um, for a number of different reasons. One of them being, you know, that there's, you know, compromises that you have to make um, in terms of complying with races and things of that nature to be, In those fields, but my question is, where are you going to go, where that's not the case? Um, Nobody is even telling, you know, doctors, black doctors, for an example, to come out of the medical field because doctors are not about, um, they're not about helping people. They're about harming people, and they're about keeping people in the hospital, keeping people as patients. Um, and, of course, the, the victims of white supremacy, they are just, um, you know, complying with racist because that's racist uh, design. Um, and then people talk about how, you know, you know, you may be just an athlete or just a singer or just a, just a this or just a that. Um, but I never hear people talk about how you're just a mailman or you're just a sec- secretary or anything like that. It's like the people who talk like that, they're the ones who chose to label people by their vocation because people's vocation is not the only thing that they do. That's something that they may do eight or more hours a day. Um, But, and that's also the way that they choose to characterize um, people's jobs, for example, because you don't have to characterize it as just uh, an athlete or whatever the case may be. You could also say, you know, that, entertainers, for example, that they put smiles on people's face, because they do. They they play games and they make people laugh and all types of things like that, like games are fun, and so they help people to have fun and things of that nature, but you 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 discourage people from certain fields because they're associated with black people, and that's why you don't discourage people from, say, the medical field, as I just mentioned, because that's not associated with black people. Um, And I knew like when it came to, for example, I think his name is Paul Robeson, that what was going to happen with that book is that people were going to start talking about how um, basically that Paul Robeson is like the model black person where, you know, start talking about how other black people are not measuring up to him. Um, And another thing, the last thing that I want to say is that, you know, another reason people talk about, you know, don't go into, you know, sports or entertainment or whatever the case may be because the percentages of, you know, black people in those fields are so low. Well, (laughs) the percentages of of black people as doctors, black people in law, black people in technology, including STEM, black people in engineering is even less. It's like half the amount, like the percentages for the arts and things of that nature is like 7%, 10%, 13%, 11%. When you talk about doctors and law and things of that nature, you're talking 5%, um, 4%. um technology is um how can I put it it is it is comparable where it's like you know nine nine percent, but the point is it's still very low as well, so ultimately <laughs> if you're black, you're not likely to get into a job where you're making a living wage. Black people don't make a living wage collectively, so ultimately, if a person wants to pursue sports or they want to pursue entertainment or whatever job that they want to pursue. That you know what I mean that will make them make money, I'm not talking about selling drugs or anything like that, then they should go ahead and they should pursue that if that's something that they want to do because ultimately what they need to do is they need to support themselves and and not you know be worried about all of these other things because the the comparisons they're just not um they're just not legitimate. And the the reasons that people give to try to discourage black people from certain fields, they are, they are also not legitimate. And usually they're only doing that again, because these fields are associated with black people. And that was it. I'll meet my line. Thanks everyone. Thanks Gus.
22: Much obliged Ivy. I'm going to have to be mindful of that to see if that happens in the book that are you saying that you think that idea will be expressed in the book or uh, people might interpret it that way? Uh, that, wow, this Paul Robinson guy, look at him, look at all the things that he accomplished. The rest of us are just lazy uh, in comparison to like, or do you think that that sort of, that that will be like directly, like explicitly suggested from the text?
23: No, that's actually what I heard the caller saying. I heard the oh, caller okay. saying that he, that he left, that he left, um, he left the the what was it that athletic field or whatever, and that you know other people, other black people need to do the same thing. And um, uh, some people were saying some things about I, I don't know if it was um, Gail Scott Heron or one of these other people, and they were just talking about how other black people are not doing the things that they're doing. Just you, you see this 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 comparison of like these you could call them model black people like how they talk about the so called model minorities and in, in Asians. But that's what and, and not just callers, but just people in general that you see when when you see um that's a, a pattern that I noticed and even in this particular situation where when a, a another black person is doing something or whatever, um, and they like them for whatever reason, um, they will compare them to the Black Collective and talk about how the Black Collective are not measuring up. And and on top of that, when they like this particular Black person, for whatever reason they like them, excuses are made for the confusion that this Black person is exhibiting. So Paul Roberson, he exhibited some confusion. Gil Scott Heron exhibited some confusion. And there was a lot of excuses that was made for their confusion. And there was a lot of compassion for that. But when it comes to the way black people collectively are talked about in terms of our confusion, there's not that same compassion.
22: Mm. That is true. There generally is a very a dearth of compassion uh, for black people. Uh, I see it a lot of times individually as well, but certainly collectively, that is uh, absolutely true. And I think that's very common where uh <clears throat> we'll end up kind of talking down directly, indirectly about black. That's why I said that lazy. I think that's another way it's sometimes manifested in saying that black people are lazy because we don't uh, anything really <laughs> read or whatever it is uh, saying that black people are lazy. That's why I've you know, said for a long time, I'm kind of resistant uh, to that because it's so easy to just fall into that common narrative that black people are, la- black anything, anything adverse. Uh, it's, that is standard operating procedure. niggers are defective yes yes we should get rid of them CRISPR, edit them out yes there's something wrong with them it's very common something to be mindful of uh we have one
23: more thing one more thing Real from
22: question. ivy i'm
23: sorry just one the, um in terms of like uh the comparison in terms of the, the the model black person for example um one one thing that i heard and that you know i kind of expected like when you talk about the laziness, for example. Paul Robertson, he had a, he knew all those languages, and I was hearing about how basically how uh, black people in general, they're not doing that. So you have this situation where you like this particular black person for whatever reason, and you're comparing that person to the collective and how the collective is not measuring up. And in this case, as I said, it was that, you know, the the collective doesn't know, you know, different languages or whatever, Um And, you know, for example, that's one reason we haven't solved the problem. It's black people's fault because they don't know different languages like Paul Roberson does. So, yeah, that was it. Thanks, Gus. I'm sorry.
22: Yes, um, words certainly are important. Said that a lot tonight, say that often in in the history of the cows. Uh, But, yeah, that is something to uh, be mindful of. That is a very common tendency to... Scold black people. <laughs> Woo! Very common tendency to scold black people. That is so ironic. That's the second time I was thinking of Bill Cosby. I think of Bill Cosby all the time. I thought of Bill Cosby when you uh, were saying uh, that sometimes I guess there's a tendency to tell black people to avoid being entertainers. Uh, I certainly am one saying avoid uh, football. Man, brain damage. Brain. Well, I guess that's a different reason though. Brain damage. I think Black people need our brain computers, Dr. Welsing. Um, But yeah, uh, saying, I was thinking entertainment. Uh, You were saying that sometimes people will discourage us from entertainment. uh, And many entertainers have made us laugh and smile. And, you know, that can be helpful, productive to to laugh. Medical evidence behind that. Uh, I was thinking, wow, Bill Cosby has probably generated a lot of chuckles uh, through the years. All those years uh, that he spent uh, on television, movies, and film. And then I thought of Bill Cosby again <laughs> towards the end when you were talking about the tendency to scold black people. And I was like, oh, Bill Cosby again. <laughs> Bill Cosby twice, twice from Ivy. Uh, anyway, anybody else have comments they wanted to get in before we uh, get ready to conclude? Can I be heard? Imhan DC?
21: Yes, sir. So speaking about scolding black people, Uh, quote unquote correcting their action what I've noticed about white people that they do is they do what people call trolling where they'll go online and they'll find different white people who are not fully supporting white supremacy or who are starting to talk too much for black people and they'll comment in the in in their um, comment box and they will send, they'll send them a video to um, something more constructive to, to continue white supremacy. They will, they will tell the white person that they are incorrect for helping non-white people. And then they'll give the white person who has made the infraction an opportunity to correct themselves. And that's, what black people should do if we're going to choose to correct black people is give the opportunity for the black person to make the correction and be accepted back into the general group of people in in our good graces or however we should frame phrase that also, I wanted to mention about the I mentioned before. With the food, the meat—they're all genetically. A lot of the cows are genetically related, and so are the other meats. And what they've done is they have been able to—they—they've made albinos. So now we're eating albinos. So we're eating white meat. We're eating albinos—the most or the more albinized creature. The same um, with white people. They're albinos the same with the CRISPR um engineering if black people were to stop you know uh edit out their blackness or whatever we call that their melanin then they would essentially be albinos but um uh, we shouldn't praise albinism and white people have this movement quote unquote um where they are rebelling against their own extinction. They call it extinction rebellion. They're saying that the planet is getting too hot for white people to survive. So they are going to protest and make a lot of uh, news, get a lot of news, news coverage about the extinction of, they call it the extinction of humans. But it's really the extinction of albinos of white people. they're fighting against their own extinction uh thank you
22: much obliged uh imhan d c uh victims guaranteed qualified uh just my view uh I've come to a conclusion on one component just because I see a lot of a strong tendency to uh scold or uh correct. Uh, criticize uh, other Black people, victims of racism. And I've said for a long time, the person who we know the most about in terms of flaws, screw-ups, where they are slacking in their codification is ourselves. So we should start with that first. Uh, And I do not, I am not in the business of correcting other non-white people. We are all, unless I'm misinformed, everybody who is participating in this broadcast is still subject to uh, the system of white supremacy. Uh, you, I just don't know how logically you can quote unquote correct or criticize somebody else and how they're responding to the system of racism if you are still subject to that same system. Uh, that's why I try to uh, avoid doing that. And a lot of time, most of the time, like I won't put a number on it, but most of the time I have seen where this is not constructive, it's not well received. Uh, I think the time to offer constructive uh, critique or to correct someone is if they have uh, requested it. They have asked for feedback. They are open to feedback. If they've already said, I'm about solving the problem of racism, white supremacy, and I would like feedback on such and such a thing, then great. But I've just not seen we're going and telling another. Even I can think about the food thing. Like I've just not seen we're going and telling a black person like, "Uh, look at here. That Popeye's chicken sandwich is probably not the best thing. You probably shouldn't eat that. I generally have not, uh, yeah, have not uh, had such good luck with that. Like, you have to be really careful. People like their chicken sandwiches. Uh, It has to kind of be a thing where they are receptive. They might even be are seeking you out to say, I do love this chicken sandwich. But uh, I get heart palpitations <laughs> when I get this see chicken sandwich. Maybe, maybe I should eat, think about eating some beets, or, or what, what? What are you eating again? Let me. That's where I've seen it works really well. Minimizes the name calling and such. But VGQ, VGQ. Uh, that's three
27: hours. Can I be heard?
22: If you can do it in thirty seconds. Uh
27: yes, uh, Mister Clark. Uh... On his Facebook early this week, uh, rep- uh, asked a uh, question primarily to black females about the real life advent of their mistreatment by uh, white as well as non-white seconds. males, but at the, at the same time, uh, the seeking entertain being entertaining uh, the pro- some program that that uh, Mister Perry. Uh, has on, I believe on BET. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's something about a black female getting mistreated. Thirty seconds. Uh, or that was thirty seconds. On this.
22: Thirty seconds. Much obliged. We'll have to ask a uh, retired firefighter again. Although I'm,
23: yeah,
22: <laughs> I generally don't care about uh, Tyler Perry. Like, whoa, man, oh man. Read, what is Doctor Th- Grand sister? Reading is more important than watching. Television.
11: Woo. Yes. Yeah. Well I was
27: gonna mention about the series on oh, Malcolm X's uh, we'll murder. We'll get it
22: we'll get it uh next time. I will make sure to pick up uh I will write myself a note. Series on Minister Malcolm's murder, Tyler Perry, Mr. Clark's fake Facebook Facebook post. I'm making myself a note. And we will get retired firefighter who should have a portion of narration coming up. I don't know if it'll be this week or the following, but if we have any other folks who would like to join him in narrating uh, for Paul Robeson's biography, which has already been referenced, drop an email would be great if we had lots of folks who would like to read. So it'll be super easy. And uh, it's a short book, so nobody will be doing a lot of reading because we will be done in short order. Until justice at gmail. com much obliged for everybody participating. Uh I think just from the conversations I had today, I guess they're doing all the Halloween nonsense this weekend, so I hope people are staying as safe as they can. uh This is a great week great weekend to be sober. You do not want to be out and about. I suspect that there uh, will be probably an increase in uh, sobriety checkpoints, and they generally like uh, do some gerrymandering and place those in areas that have a high number of Black residents. Uh, I also would expect there to be a lot more uh, motorists who are under the influence whichever part of the world you're in, just because that's a part of the holiday to dress up uh, in something really Pro- provocative and sexually trashy uh, or something lewd uh, and then to consume a lot of narcotics and go out and behave like a moron. Uh, so I would expect there to be motorists uh, who are impaired. Be mindful of that. You might want to do some defensive driving and or take uh, Dr. Cambon's advice and avoid being out late in the evening. I would say especially uh, this evening and uh, probably all the way through the week because they'll be doing the silliness all the way through November. So be mindful uh, and try not to binge out on the candy. I just told somebody today before I was vegan, I used to pig out on those Snickers. I would be looking out for this time of year. It is Snickers time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> try not to binge on all that sugar, it is just horrible. Uh, be mindful of what you eat. That is racism, white supremacy right there. Use logic. Eat well. Uh, Try to uh, minimize, if you can't avoid outright, at least minimize uh, that that right there, the system of racism, white supremacy dictating. Oh, yeah, this is what to do. This is normal. Go ahead and have, you know, five, 20, 15 uh, pieces of chocolate and all the rest of this candy to ruin your teeth and, and get some weight on you as well. Leave it alone. Veggies, fruits mindful consumption sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy in addition to being sober let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle passenger or driver let's do all that we can to be as safe as possible under conditions of terrorism white supremacy uh in that vein let's be off the cell phone if you're driving Uh, Again, just trying to do all the little things that we can to stay safe. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other victims of white supremacy. Remember, they are victims. Remind us they are victims of white supremacy. Help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us that we, too, are victims of white supremacy. Help us to consistently demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Kyle signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
20: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, your brother. problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has
22: programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.
0: 18
6: plus.